welcome once again to the SmackDown 6 podcast, your podcast that will be covering the SmackDown 6 era of that wonderful wrestling show on Thursday nights on UPN. Uh, it's the SmackDown 6 podcast. We're talking about the six guys who made wrestling at the time just so great. Your Kurt Angles, your Chris Benoit, your Rey Mysterio, your Edges, your Eddie Guerrero, your Chavo Guerrero. All those guys made SmackDown awesome. And uh, I'm really excited to talk about this show this week. We're going to be covering the November, November, the November 7th. <laughs> 2002 edition of SmackDown. I don't know what November is, but I said it, and that's okay. Uh, my my good buddy Daniel is with me. That's why he's laughing at me for being an idiot. I'm not going to repeat. I'm not gonna it again. That's just happening. <laughs> November, man, we're rocking it. November. That Triple H should be part of November. Yes. Uh, <laughs> up, up, up. What a great joke. Triple H is a big nose. Anyway, chip your waitresses, everybody. Real trash thing. Anyway, I'm excited to talk about the show, Daniel. I'm so glad you're here, buddy. So uh, happy to be here. I've been missing this. It's been a long time. We took a little Julian hiatus. Right. And so that I was later on down the road. And so now I'm just very, very excited to be back in the saddle. Because this has been a joy, talking about these episodes. Because there's some just glory in oh, yeah. this generation of SmackDown. I love I'm this. so happy you're forcing me to watch it. There are sometimes moments in this show when I watch SmackDown and I, I am completely gobsmacked. I think, as I, if I recall correctly, there's at least one part of this episode where I am where I was like in shock. I think it might have been over what somebody's. Oh yes, never mind. It is this episode. Uh, we're going to talk about it. Amazing. Completely shocking event. So okay, Dan. Before we get into tonight's show, I say tonight, this morning, whenever you're listening to it, <laughs> this podcast comes out. That's how podcasts work. I have a question for you. And it's this, and and I don't maybe you can answer this, maybe you can't. Is there anything or any wrestler that if you're watching this in 2002, you would have liked that you don't like now? So Matt, it's kind of a self-reflection question. Like, is there a wrestler or something in wrestling where you're like, oh, I would, you know, like I'm sure back in 2002 would have lo- would have loved Rikishi or the Don Marie and Al Wilson things, but now that I'm older and wiser and left behind childish things, I. Maybe wouldn't have felt oh, the same that's way. so that's so funny, Matt. Because you know what? Something that I've noticed about myself as we've been doing this show hmm. is that I love it all. I yeah. love the Dalmarie stuff. I love <laughs> Tori. I love Rikishi. Like I'm such a Rikishi fanboy. There's a moment tonight with Rikishi that I should have hated, and I could. I loved it. I loved it. I will talk about it. But like I just so there's just something about this era that is still magical and the child that's in me my immaturity it's still there with me and it's just relishing in all this stuff so i don't know if there's something that like when i'm watching it now that i'm like oh i don't love that but i would have loved it then right. i think the stuff i don't love now i still wouldn't have loved then i still would have been right you know, so for instance like matt hardy shannon moore their relationship i don't like that maybe like if i was a kid you don't like that. Interesting. No, I don't like that. I might have just been like, oh, fun. Something's happening <laughs> on the TV. Right. <laughs> but, oh, good. It's back for commercial. Yes, that's right. But apart from that, like, apart from, like, you know, I would love to say that I am wise and good as a human being and that I do not appreciate all of the smuck, but I love it, man. I love it. Right. I think it's great. That's good. I love. I think. I think it's a. You have a beautiful soul, and I think it makes sense. I get that completely. I think uh, now that I'm older, I think I'm. I see more of the, uh, the logic gaps with things. Uh, oh, okay. Like just the things. Like I, rem- I remember listening to a podcast. I think it was a while ago, and uh, I hope I didn't relate this on the podcast already. 
And they were, I think they were reading from like an old wrestling magazine from like probably the early nineties, I would say. And some guy wrote it and he was like an old wrestling fan. And, uh, you know, wrestling was always a history of like, is it real? Is it fake? But the guy in his letter, he wrote to like, he was reading it about like the uh, w- early WCW, I think. And he was like, I don't understand why the commissioner just doesn't suspend guys who interfere in matches. Like, it doesn't make sense that they like, these guys came out and they do it. There's no consequences for it. It's ridiculous. And <laughs> it's so funny to think about that because it's like, it is ridiculous. It doesn't like, there's so many things that happen that you should like, Stephanie McMahon should be fired for letting some of this stuff happen on her watch. It's insane. This allows so, things to happen. So I'm totally on board with that. Like, yes, <laughs> yes. I wasn't thinking about it in that way, but there's definitely things that I'm critiquing logic-wise or like they could have done that more tightly or they could have really uh, reinforced the logic there or that kind of thing. Um, but at the same time, it is kind of fun. Like the whole Halloween party fight between Angela and Benoit. Oh, I love that. Like, why? That's amazing. That's awesome. But, like, it, with the logic we're using right now, why would it get that far? Right. You know? um, it's totally true. I, and you know what, though? I there's I, I can kind of forget, like, I can forgive all sorts of things with it. And I think I think there's more fundamental. Like, I, I see other smaller things that are like, you just wouldn't let that happen or the logic's bad. Like, the fact that there was a, the fact there's a, a tag team uh, title match tonight that uh, is between the guys who won the tournament and the guys who they beat for the tournament and they're still the number one contenders. That doesn't really make sense. Um, and so that's the kind of thing where it's just like, I, I know what they're doing. I know they want to do, you know, I know what, they, what their whole plan is with, with uh, the titles in general, where they just want to have these guys, these teams be the centerpiece of it. But anyway, so I just, and I'm, I love now having this podcast, being able to look at it and, uh, just think these things through and talk these things through and just, and, and just, and, and it gets to spend time every week being like, there's a 26 year old woman who is running this brand and there's chaos <laughs> happening. And yet she is doing immeasurably better than the guy who's like in his forties. who's running the other one. Who's like a tyrant. And, um, she traded for big show and we'll never find out what she traded. And it wasn't anything. <laughs> it's like all this random stuff. I just, I, I think, and I think it's like, and just can, like sexual like, harassment in the workplace is just not oh, a thing right my now. Gosh, like, yes. Well, just there's well, more sexual harassment. It's not like, yeah. Stephanie, we'll talk about what happened last week, but Stephanie was more than harassed last week. It's a uh, a chargeable offense what happened to the poor woman. That's right. Uh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, well, there was another part. But apparently, we're supposed to believe that's better because she like gave into it. You know, uh, so it's like, yeah. oh, that was consensual. We'll take it at the time because there's, yeah, no, that's just, it's, it's an issue. I think, you know what, the one thing I will say before we get on to the show is I think sometimes people are like, they they think, okay, well, you have to look at wrestling and go, ah, whatever. It just You just have to go with it for everything. And it's like, you, it's actually better if you interrogate it a little bit because on some level it's like you're engaging with uh, art, uh, for lack of a better, but like, it's story Hey, something. hey, I think that's a great word, Matt. Right. Just use it proudly. I did, I did uh, hesitate before saying it because it's like, but just the reality, like, so much of like, what I love about wrestling is storytelling, right? Just the whole thing yes. of like, uh, and I was thinking about this recently, uh, why, you know, talking about, thinking about the Avengers, uh, Infinity War, Thor at the end of that movie, spoilers for a movie that came out two and a half years ago, um, you know, he, he, he comes in, he essentially does a run-in. Like Stone yes. does, and it's amazing, and, it's, and it made me feel amazing. And it was, and then actually in that moment in that movie, I was like, I think I'm a Thor guy now because that was such an amazing moment. And you're like, that's what happened in the '90s with Stone Cold. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. It was just wrestling being like, and glass shatters, and everybody goes ballistic, and this is your guy, and you'll die for this guy. He rules, and that's what it is. 
Yes. It's like it's not it's more than it's it's not this 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 kind of I would say oversimplified you know soap opera for a man thing. It's no, it's like it is storytelling, and if you do it right, and you can you can put the piece in the right way, and that's what we're seeing it all over this episode of SmackDown too, right? Where things are getting set up, or we're trying to see different things, and um, you know, we're trying to see okay, why is Brock Lesnar acting that way? You know, what's about Hardy's thing? Anyway, great storytelling. So I'm coming from this interesting viewpoint because yeah. during kind of the hiatus from the podcast a bit, I was caught up, so I was kind of just watching some other stuff. So I was watching 1997. And then, Great. so like Raw 1997, and then I got hooked into catching up on Thunderdome stuff, which is your you know, contemporary COVID, so from SummerSlam on, because I wanted to catch up on the Roman Reigns story. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's because well, I've, I've the modern some kind really of... good stuff. I'm seeing some really cool things happening there, so I wanted to catch up on it. Yeah, that's, a, that's getting so now... some praise, man. That's getting lots of praise. I like what I've oh, heard. Yeah. I haven't seen a lot, but I, I really, I've seen a little bit of here and there. Yeah, so really good. Like, that's really good. But it's really interesting to see kind of storytelling and wrestling in these three eras right um and so like right now i'm sitting there and i'm rating you know like 1997 is top of the pack right then smackdown 2002 then current stuff is trailing it's still good it's still good but like it's definitely they were able to capture lightning in a bottle years ago right that they struggle to catch now and I don't I, know if that's because everything's become a bit more sterile or they're just there's formulas that they're trying to implement. There's less competition that work that don't work anymore. There's less competition thing. But yeah. anyway, there's something about you captured it perfectly with the magic of the run in. Yeah, they've lost a little bit of that. Where there's not that like we can rely on this guy to come out every week and just like be a maniac and people right. will just love it. Because even they try you, and spread the love, they try and like yeah, try to transpose on other people, and you're kind of like you know you're just and if they don't nail the character, you're just not gonna get as excited if a, a Kevin Owens runs in and does stuff. Because you're just like yeah, but like he's not he's not itching that same scratch that I have because I maybe identify more with the uh, the guy who thinks he's awesome and the tribal chief. Maybe that's kind of more my my instead of being like that low status um, you know employee who wants to beat up his boss, which is you know the kind of that more fundamental like. Haven't right. you ever been mad at your moss before? Like, haven't you been angry with him or her? Well, and the thing is, is that now we're in a generation where we can start to say that every wrestler is a version of wrestlers that have come before. Right. And, and but, it yeah, takes I mean, away we, from the current person. Right. Because we're kind of like, they're a bit of a carbon copy. They're not original. Right. And, and so you would hope that they would. But, like, you know what? Like, I would I would contest that with, like, a Matt Riddle. Mm-hmm. Right, where Matt Riddle is like, I mean, you could say RVD is doing that, but like, not really, not the same way, like, not this kind of broy kind of thing. Like, I think wrestling does better when they're like they're taking other instances of people from culture and putting them in other places. There, like, I mean, there's all there's all sorts of no. I think think. I think Matt Riddle and Keith Lee are great examples of guys that are blazing their own trail, right? For sure. But uh, you got Kevin Owens, and he's just doing stunners now, and you're like, oh, you're not doing yourself any justice here man like right. you're not you're not helping your case what's the difference because in some level it's like i love a good cover when i listen to like a good song cover is great and it's gonna go in the rotation but if you write something original and it speaks to something i haven't heard before that's transcendent and that's just what it is with wrestling too right where it's just like if yes. you can have something that transcends that way and you and it, it totally has a result of like you know if, if keith lee can hit properly at the right time it's like you can even unlock whole fan bases of things people who wouldn't even come to that until they see either themselves represented or see a guy that they love doing something, right? 
Um, okay, so that's us pontificating on wrestling and storytelling. And, <laughs> and you know what? We're going to get some storytelling. But first, let's talk about last week's episode of SmackDown. It was Halloween, Daniel. It was a little spooky around here. There was some mist on the ground here covered with my brother Will. And uh, <laughs> there were both tricks and treats on that episode of SmackDown. I'll tell you. Oh, man. Were there ever? Was there was an appropriately special. spooky and festive party that went on backstage. And while it was happening, the SmackDown 6 shined in a number of different matches. Because uh, Edge bested Chris Benoit thanks to Kurt Angle, which kicked off a show-long battle of wits and physicality between the tag team champions. And then uh, Brock Lesnar stepped in the ring with Rey Mysterio, but then Rey got tossed into the crowd by an interfering big show, who then drove Brock through the announce table to end the show. And so that's what happened last week. And so this so, week, so yeah. a little bit about last week. I don't know if you covered it. You probably did, maybe. But the Halloween party where John Cena freestyle raps. Yes. According to him, that was his turning point. Yes. Oh, we talked about so, it. Like- so he he yeah okay so he was on his way out the door, but then Steph got word that he could freestyle. She said, "Why don't you do that on camera?" And now away we go. So I'm very excited to see the rise of John Cena. Yeah, and I'm glad that they, this this episode is a moment in there where they totally start that. Yeah, they start up, which is great. Yeah, so that, and that's the joy. The SmackDown Six podcast is about this era, but it's not just about the six guys because I mean this podcast is as much about you know. Uh, Kurt Angle as it is about Brock Lesnar, right? Like that's I love interrogating right. and looking at that, right? Because we're gonna cover almost the entire career of Brock Lesnar here, which is what's yes. early, that early that first kind of first part of it, which his is funny. It ends up being what eighty percent of his matches total, right? Like even though he's been around like since then. Um, so that was last week's episode. So uh, of course, it being Halloween last week, that means this week it's November seventh, two thousand two. Uh, this was filmed on November 5th, 2002. It was at, in Manchester, New Hampshire at the Verizon Wireless Arena. So this is a uh, named after a telecommunications company, Verizon Wireless. Um, I wonder if it's still called that. I don't really know. And uh, Daniel, you know this. We were tracking the uh, TV ratings week to week here to see if SmackDown managed to beat Raw, kind of even though it's a B show, even though it's on a, maybe a smaller network. And so this week it got a 3.6, and that means it did, in fact, beat Raw this week. Oh, it would beat Raw in the Hallelujah. Rate. Uh, praise to the chairman, uh, SmackDown <laughs> reigns. So we're going to, first though, we, we, we do a segment on here called Meanwhile on Velocity, where we cover the matches beforehand. The, the good fans in Manchester, New Hampshire would have seen, uh, on, uh, it put before them. And so the interesting thing with this, of course, is that there's no dark matches because they shot some WWE Super Tuesday stuff, uh, which was this random TV special they did on a Tuesday. It was intended to hype up Survivor Series because the show we're covering today is 10 days away from Survivor Series. And so the Tuesday after this would be kind of less than a week. And so the idea is they put that on the network and people are – you get some more eyes on Survivor Series. It's actually – I don't know if you're familiar with this, Daniel. This actually used to happen fairly frequently. Like even in the early 90s, they would do this where um, – what did it used to be called? Anyways, like SummerSlam Spectacular or something like that. But you would even get decent matches. Like this is actually a really good one um, I would throw out. I don't know which in the 90s, but it was it was a – uh, tag team steel cage match, I believe it's between the Steiners and Money Inc., which doesn't sound like a match you want to go out of your way to find, but it's actually a super good way to do a tag team cage match. Anyway, so okay. this idea of doing a hype up show. So when, uh, so essentially, we're not going to talk about those matches right now because later on in the show they cover what's coming up on Super Tuesday, and we'll go over it then. I have results. We're going to go all over it. This is also one of those things like it's not on the WWE Network as far as I can tell, but it's a WWE production they did. At the exact same time as Raw or SmackDown, like it, it's just this funny little thing of like you can only find it because people online posted it on, you know, random you know websites from a long time ago. But yes, but there were velocity matches. We'll talk about those first. Uh, Tajiri beat Crash after hitting a buzzsaw kick and pinning him. 
Uh, and I like the finish because initially, so the Jerry lines him up for a buzzsaw kick, uh, but he misses. And so he immediately turns and kicks him with his heel and then kicks him with a buzzsaw kick instead. So he like, okay, <laughs> even though he ducks, he's like, uh, I'll get you on the way back and then forward. <laughs> to finish him off. It was very satisfying. Uh, it's like it, Crash was like, let's make this match longer. It's Jerry was like, nope. Yeah, it's like, I'll kick you in the back and then I'll kick you in the front. Uh, and I loved Tajiri's bus kicks always look so good. Tajiri is one of those guys on the show that is like, he's going to get some more cred from everybody. Because everybody who, everybody who comes on the show is like, Tajiri is so good. It's like, yeah, he's super good. Yes. Uh, Albert Vin- Albert beat Vince Vicalo with a big baldo bomb. He's just a jobber. I don't know. It wasn't much to Vince Vicalo. No offense to Vince. I hope you're listening, Vince. I'd love to have you on. I don't, I don't even know if I'd want you on, to be honest with you. You just got beat, got beat by Albert. I don't know if you're better than my friends and relatives. And then uh, 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 Funaki and Chuck Palumbo beat Ron Simmons and Devon after Funaki rolled up Devon. Um, and I got to say, Funaki and Chuck Palumbo, what a team. Right, right. Well, random, random team. Random, random team. No idea why they're all wrestling together. There, but they were. Uh, and then the main so, event. So, jog my yeah. memory. Why, why have Chuck and Billy gone off to obscurity? What happened there? Was there an injury or? Uh, yeah, Billy got very injured. Yeah, okay. I think he had the next thing even like he had a thing that came out. I think he was in uh, a match in in Ontario, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, he got a neck injury. And I don't know what they would have done anyway, though, Daniel, because you know they were they decided that Billy and Chuck were straight, and then yeah, uh, yeah, no, they came they came to the end of what they had going on for sure. So I don't know what they would have done. I would have liked if they stayed being a team and just changed their gimmick. I don't know. Um, yeah, and then uh, Chavo versus Tyson Ducks, who is um. A Canadian wrestler, as I'm not mistaken, I believe so. Um, he's done a bunch of matches like this. I think we, we've seen him maybe on Philosophy before, even. Uh, Manchester, uh, New Hampshire being close to Canada, so you can just duck across the border, no big deal. Uh, Chavo, okay. Chavo dropped him on his neck so on the road. So do you know what's cool about him? Yeah, what, do you know him? Well, I don't know him, but he has a wrestling school here in London where I'm at. Oh, okay, that's cool. You should ask him about facing Chavo Guerrero on the November uh, 10th edition of uh, <laughs> Velocity or whatever. Bring, bring, bring him on uh, as a guest. Yeah, why not? If you're around into it, let me know. Um, so he's around. Interesting. He, yeah, but he wasn't. Um, he wasn't a nobody. He did stuff. He was around. So I'm not. I'm not surprised he has a wrestling school. And so Daniel, let's talk about this week's episode of SmackDown. You into it? Oh, let's let's do it, man. I'm so I'm so excited. This was this was good. This was some good stuff, right? Here. It was a good show. It was it was good. Sometimes I have to I have to break up the shows in between, you know, children and work and things like that. And so sometimes I watch want to watch it all in one go. It's ideally the experience is watching it all at once. Um, so sometimes it's a bit tougher to get a sense of like, did I like all this? Usually in the during as I go through the show, I'm like, right, okay. So we start, Daniel, with a video package of the big show. And uh, it begins with a phrase that says, a sleeping giant awakes. <laughs> it shows the big show tossing The Undertaker off the stage from a couple of weeks ago. And uh, it's intercut with uh, big show clips. Um, we do promo. We hear Paul Heyman telling Brock Lesnar, he can't beat the big show. Which, again, I think is a really weird approach for your agent to take. I don't know. You know, <laughs> your job, even if you're, you know, if you're an NFL team. He's worried, to, Matt. He's concerned. I know he's, he's worried. But if you're, like, if you're the worst team in the league and you're facing the best team in the league and like, I don't know, football, right? Um, you're going to plan with the hope that they slip on a banana peel a couple times, right? I mean, the idea that you have to have a knockdown drag out slug out fight. Uh, it's like, no, you can just you can just try to do the. They're also bad guys. Like, get a chair. I don't know. Well, the thing is, right, the angle is obviously like, hey, I can negotiate different matches. You don't have to fight the big show. Right. So why are we doing this? But that's also weird. That's also weird. Like, the world champion has to face every guy in the roster. Like, you have to be able to be. There's no <laughs> guy you can be like, I'm going to face him. It's like, that guy should for sure ask for a title match and just beat you. He should be champion. And this is like, 
Like, that, that's a funny uh, move to take, I gotta say. So what I'm really interested about here, though, is so we saw Big Show at the last pay-per-view, and he was getting, uh, he was in the midst of conversation with Steph, and, and he's complaining about he hasn't been on a pay-per-view, he hasn't been in a main event, like he's listing all these times. That he hasn't. Wah, been wah, wah, Paul White. And so then all of a sudden, though, he's on SmackDown, and he is rocketed into the main event. Yeah, did you see the episode recently where he, in one episode, he goes from not being on the show to being in the main event? Like, he literally, in one episode, he ascends. Right. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the so they're really, like, leaning into that. But I'm really curious about what the backstage stuff was around this. Oh, well, here's, okay, I have I have good news, though, is that I okay. can tell you. Oh, great. Um, no, we talked about it last week on the podcast, so I can cover it quickly. Um, but we, let's talk about it later on when we see Big Show. Sure. Okay, when he when he walks in with his big stupid leather jacket, I'll tell you what was going on backstage a little bit. So, okay, yeah. So also in the in the video package, we see Big Show toss Rey Mysterio into the crowd at the end of last week's show, and we see Big Show beat up Brock Lesnar and drive him through the table with kind of a choke slam ish move because he gets him up and then he kind of has him in like his uh, around the waist with his arm and then just pushes him through, which is fine, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, it was kind of like an insurance policy to get him through the table. Yeah, I just got to make sure I have I all my body. I don't think Big Show wanted the table to hard no sell, you know. Yeah, that'd be bad. Uh, the video package ends with Big Show screaming maniacally, uh, which is one way to end that. And then uh, the beautiful intro, uh, the beautiful people song plays. We see the intro, which now no longer feature, features uh, Hulk Hogan, Daniel. I don't know if you noticed that. Okay, okay. I didn't notice. And I if you listen to last week's episode. I The Rock was still hanging around, but yes. I didn't notice the absence. There's a good reason for that, and I'll tell you why a little bit later on the show. Uh, but everybody who listened to the podcast last week knows. So this is just for Daniel in this moment. <laughs> okay. Well, well, he, well, thank you, Matt. Thank you. He Matt. couldn't have heard it last week anyway, so it doesn't matter. Uh, so, yes, the pyro explodes around the fist, and then we are live to tape here in New Hampshire. And Michael Cole and Taz tell us the tag team titles are on the line tonight in a two out of three falls match between the defending champions, Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit, who are constantly at at odds with each other. And Edge and Rey Mysterio, because they won a number one contenders match last week, even though they lost fair and square in the tournament final against Chris and Kurt at No Mercy. Um, It's funny to me this match is announced as being a two out of three falls match. It's just announced like there's no fanfare, no reason given. They didn't announce it last week. They didn't try to hype it up. But still, still, it's another excellent example for me of yeah. getting people hyped for what's happening in the mm. show. Yes, okay, they didn't they didn't promote it earlier, right? Right at the top of the night. Now I don't want to change the channel. Oh, definitely not. This is, oh, this is the, especially that match too in particular. Like, okay, it's a big match. This could be this could it could be a title change here. I don't know. Like, you know, this is the, they were getting their best chance at and, it. Like, and two out of three falls. I don't know how you feel about them. But I love them. You say something I two do three falls, and I am just and I don't know why. I don't I really don't know why. I just think that there's a certain there's a certain I'm using the word magic a lot tonight, but there's a certain magic in a two or three falls match that you don't get in other matches where it's like everyone has a second chance. Right. So mm, it's beautiful of, when you put it that way. <laughs> it's <yeah>. inspiring. <laughs> <laughs> But it's like society. It captures, that. it captures that. It captures that idea that everyone has a second chance. And it's really cool Yeah. to put that into the story that they're telling. Yeah. I, well, I mean, in the two or three falls match, too, is like, uh, you know, it's <clears throat> it is a multi-fall match. It tells you it's a bigger deal. And, uh, you know, every time I hear I was saying about this earlier this week, actually, when I when I, after I watched the show, 
you know, every time they do like a two, like a, like a 30 man Iron Man match, like I'm opposed to 30 man Iron Man matches, like a 30 Me minute, too. 30 minute Iron Man match should be an hour. Yes. That's like an Iron Man match should be an hour. Um, although I did recently see um, a clip from an indie show from a few years ago and they did a one minute Iron Man match. <laughs> <laughs> it was so funny because they start off and immediately the uh, the commentators are like, they got to move quick. There's only a minute left. And the, the announcer is like, the announcer gets on in like 30 seconds, 30 seconds left. And they they just, they, but the wrestlers the whole time, they just circle each other like the beginning of an Iron Man match where you try to like spend oh, time. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. they're not locked up. They're like grabbing the ropes. They're like cracking the neck and stuff like that. And they lock up at zero seconds left on the show. Amazing. <laughs> I think they went to, um, they went to, oh, so yeah, they went to sudden death, but the joke of the sudden death was that it was like sudden death is only five seconds long, I think. So a guy oh, rolled up a guy for two and it ended up being a tie. But just like, anyway, I think that's hilarious. As I say, as I laugh through that whole explanation of it. Uh, but they shouldn't do, th- just do an hour long Iron Man match or do two or three false matches instead. It's a good way to well, do a multi-fault match and tell a story. It's good. Recently, Great. Bailey was on Stone Cold Spoken Skull Sessions hmm. and they were chronicling her and uh, Sasha Banks's kind of great NXT matches. So yeah, they yeah. had the Brooklyn match and then they had a half hour Iron Man match. And it was the first women's Iron Man match. And they were kind of talking about it like it was a big deal. And it's hard for me to buy into when there's matches that are no stipulations that go longer than 30 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. 35 minutes in this one fall. Like what? Like, come on. Yeah. Yeah. So I totally get that. Now, one thing I will say, cause I'm saying, Hey, like, Hey, they should have oh, hide this up. Cause I think today, if, if they like, let's say this was booked the same way, like NXT is booked now. Like, it would be announced one or two weeks out that there's a two or three falls match for the tag team titles, like for sure, yes. um, which makes sense. Now, at the time, and I don't call the Dusty Rhodes class. Exactly. Um, <laughs> Paul Heyman, who was booking the show at the time, he was actually knocked for not planning his shows very well and changing things last minute, which actually leads to him being ousted in February, which is too bad. Um, but I think this could be part of it where like he's just like, ah, oh, we need a little bit more juice out of this. Maybe we just make it two or three falls match. And he just declares it then. Maybe it's, it's too late to hype it before, but anyway something you should get hyped for of course is uh tori wilson and billy kevin versus nitty and jamie noble to start off smackdown here <laughs> man when because i'm expecting don right uh, right to come out as tori's opponent and then when nitty comes out just yes like i love these guys <laughs> so much i love jamie, jamie noble and and nitty. Nitty. they're wonderful people. so excited so i'm just like oh this is gonna be perfect oh yeah and, and it just dawned on me uh as i was Don't watching the episode you. That right, awesome. <laughs> that Jamie Noble stole Billy Kidman's old gear and is like wearing his old outfit. Oh, I, mean, I didn't even think about that because he's wearing because you're, you're referring to the fact that he's wearing like uh cut off jeans and stuff. Yes. And that's what Kidman used to wear. He just needs the um, he needs the, the wife beater shirt, right? The, that's right, that's right. That's all he needs. Oh, that's so funny. I never thought about that. That should have been a feud. They, they missed their chance, yeah, to f- fight over the jeans. So, Tori Wilson comes down and we see a little pop up graphic telling us that Tori's theme quote need a little time is on the wwe anthology cd set and it's available next tuesday not not whenever you're listening to this but next tuesday from 19 years ago or 20 years ago or however long ago <laughs> no i feel like they were just promoting another like a different yes they were doing forcible entry for the beginning of the fall there but wwe anthology is their brand new one i think forcible entry was was kind of on the tail and maybe the summer or something like this okay. and so i actually own this uh, the CD set. It's probably my, oh, my set, something like that. Yeah. So it was it was three discs, and I believe it was like first uh, first disc was like classic themes, so like I don't know Hulk Hogan stuff like that. The second was the Attitude Era, and third was the more recent ones. So um, they uh, anyway, it was great. I don't remember listening to Need a Little Time. I don't know if that's on if you can stream that stuff either. That'd be I'm really curious to see if you can still stream stuff. 
uh, from the uh, from the CD. But they talk about it a few more times, which is great. Um, something that wasn't great was uh, the trick or treat match, which we see a clip from from the week before. Oh yeah. Um, although it's crazy, I don't know if you knew this. It actually won an award at the time for how progressive it was in its depiction of women on television. I'm just kidding. Oh. It didn't. No, it didn't. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, it was. I was uh, gossip back there, man. Yeah, you, you believe you me. Got me. You got me. It won awards. Yeah, no, it's true. Uh, like Senator Clinton came out and supported it. No, um, try, I couldn't think of a really good feminist. There's my Hillary Clinton, which is pretty uh, white bread for me. Anyway, um, so yes, we see Kim and uh, Kim and comes in. Kim and's entrance is just a really bad rock song and so many strobe lights. Right, right. It's like, like, oh my gosh, if you have epilepsy, you are done by the end of Billy Kim and coming out. <laughs> yeah, my bubble be toast. Glad oh, she man. Wrestling with me, man. A dangerous thing, man. So we're told as Nidia is coming out of the ring, she's going to be on the TV show Blind Date. Yeah, I, I was like, this is hilarious. Like, why are they even trying to justify this? Like, it's. He was on it. It was, um, sorry. It was originally, it originally ran from 1999 to 2006. And essentially, it was like, I don't know if you've ever have seen this before. It's like a dating show with like pop up bubbles. So like, oh yeah, I used to watch it. Yeah, it was great. They were actually really entertaining. Um, I they I think they've they brought back blind dates since then. But like, yeah, you would go on it, and Nitty would be there, and um, she would say she'd be like, yeah, I'm actually a professional wrestler, and there would be a pop up thing next to the guy who's like, oh, that sucks, or like, you know, they would have all these little like, little jokes right. things, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, so it's so funny. Like weeks, a few weeks earlier, how about Taz being on Ricky Lake, and like they're just. Wrestling is all over. There's the most random media. Do they like? Do they talk about now? We're just like, oh, you might have seen, uh, might have seen Sheamus in a popular TikTok. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> a <level. laughs> no, that is not happening. Yeah, yeah. Sami Zayn was uh, he was uh, featured in a tweet to AOC. Anyway, although, uh, they, although they do have a series on the network of like uh, gamer YouTubers and mm-hmm. WWE superstars gaming together. That makes sense. I mean, that's such a natural. Even even though recently, just a day this podcast, uh, Undertaker came out as not liking the people who play video games in the locker room, <laughs> and everybody else, and it was pretty unanimous from the people in the locker room being like, uh, "It was it's a better than drugs, Undertaker," which is what everybody else did when you were. <laughs> we want to live to uh, see our grandkids, so uh, we're gonna keep playing video games and instead of hitting, uh, I don't know, some crank or whatever. Anyway, so we start with uh, Noble and Billy Kidman. Uh, they start with some decent, decent cruiserweight action. You know, uh, Kidman, Hurricane Ron is Noble, and then he hits a springboard backward drop kick. And then Noble T-bone suplexes Kidman, which caught me off guard. He was like, he just picks him up and chucks him. Oh, yeah. Want. I see that. Beautiful. There's some uh, good they, action happening here. It like, was good. Really, really nice stuff. Uh, Nidia tags in and kicks Kid, but as Michael Cole explains <laughs> how unusual and against the rules this is, as the guys are supposed to wrestle the guys and the girls, the girls. So, so this, this was the whole thing for me is that yeah. I think this is a moment where I've been desensitized by current WWE. Yeah. They're very clear about mixed tag. Like, as soon oh, yeah. as a woman or a guy comes in and the opposite sex is there, the ref is just like, get out, male come in, get out, girl come in, whatever. Yeah. And that was just not happening. Like the ref had no role in that. He, he acts like, oh, uh, I guess uh, you gotta make the tag. You gotta make the tag. Just get beat up by a dude, but make the tag. It's so <laughs> like it's like, it's dumb because then sometimes like like they'll often try to get away with that where the refs like, oh, I don't know, man, I'm just doing my thing. But then they'll have these finishes where like I'm thinking back to Unforgiven uh, earlier in the fall, and uh, the whole match is predicated on Brian Hebner losing his mind at the end of it, being like, yes. No, I'm taking control of this. <laughs> You're like, since when is that a priority for you? And why right. are you deciding to 
now in the middle of the main event of a September pay-per-view. Come on, man. Um, so, yeah, I mean... Yeah, it, Bri- Brian Hebner had his issues uh, during this episode, too. For right. Guy. Yeah, exactly. Um, but anyway, it takes all of three seconds before Kim grabs Nidia by the hair and drags her in the corner to tag in Tori to a big reaction. I still... It's funny to watch that and for me to be a bit uncomfortable about it, too, though, because Tor- oh, Kim yeah. is like, I got her, and he drags him, striking a woman around the ring by her hair. And it's like, well, this really is something that wrestling did shockingly too much uh, between like the year 1999 and 2000 something. There was a lot of women by the hair by men stuff. And we're and it's and it's our heroes doing it. That's the weirdest. It's really uncomfortable yeah. watching that. Whenever you're like, it's like watching a movie from the 80s and like, well, to huge pops, to huge pops. Oh yeah, I remember watching some like 2000 stuff with the Dudleys. Oh right, and. And they like were just like slamming Trish through tables. People were like, "Yeah, good." And it's like, "Oh my gosh!" Well, sorry, what I was gonna, what I was finished my thought from just a second ago. You know, it's like when you watch a movie from the '80s and like the hero says something, you're like, "Oh, that was kind of racist." You're like, <laughs> "Right, right." <laughs> like, "Oh, okay. you were the hero back then." I was like, "Oh, it's dark." So think about that. Um, Michael Cole, Michael Cole says, "You, you got to hand it to Tori Wilson. She has really improved ring ring ability." And uh, I, I swear, <laughs> Michael Cole. He loves to gaslight people. Like Tori is not improved. I don't know what we're seeing. No, like, I, I I heard that, and I was like, just thinking before he said that. Man, she's not that great. Like, <laughs> she has not improved that much. But I mean, it's also like I don't. She also shouldn't be wrestling. I'm not mad at her. Like she shouldn't be there. Like stop putting her in that position. Like have her manage somebody. Have her do something. Have her help Stephanie. I don't know. Just don't put her in the ring. Like it's not great. Is she did have a decent match for her at the last pay per view. But, yeah, I mean, that was surprisingly decent, but also it's just funny for Michael Cole to be like, look, she's getting better. I'm like, I don't I'm not seeing what you're seeing, man. I'm sorry. Right. Um, so Noble go, Noble does his go to spot for a mixed tag team match. We've seen him do a couple times where uh, which is where he clobbers the female opponent when the ref's not looking, which is what I does in this case. He just destroys yeah. Tori Willis with a cross liner. <laughs> yeah. Again, <laughs> shocking. Yeah. But then at least it's it, the bad guys. Exactly. Yeah, at least that, that happens there. He's getting heat there. Because Kimmy gets back in, and it's a drop kick, it's a back drop. It's an Ushiguroshi for two. Thank you, Moro Nala, for telling me what that is, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I, here's a guy throwing out an Ushiguroshi in 2002, SmackDown. As if you didn't think that was, you know, only the territory of Adam Cole in 2018. Um, so Kimmy sets up a clothesline, but uh, Noble reverses it into a DDT. And Kimmy does, like, he gets spiked to the ground like RVD would, which is great. Okay. It's like, yeah, it's not just RVD you can do that. Go for it, Kimmy. I like it. Um, <clears throat> and then he gets a, a low down or whatever Kim and calls. I don't know what he would have called it at the time. You kind of know the thing where you like grab guys under the arms and do a little pop up power bomby thing. Yeah. Uh, but he would do that, as I recall. I don't know. I, I call it the low down because that's what D Lo did. I don't know what to call it. The kid down, the man down. Man down. <laughs> man, man down. Man down. Yeah, it was cool. It was cool. Yeah. It, it was just sort of like neat to see sort of a foreshadowing of things that we see the guys do today all the time. Like, this right. is kind of like regular repertoire stuff, but it was like, oh. That's neat to kind of see the pioneers of that kind of style. Yeah, and to see, and, and just to just to see like the the true DNA of the modern thing being like, yeah, I mean, people loved cruiserweight wrestling, and a lot of it just kind of lapsed into that, which is fine. I don't mind it; it's different, and not everybody does it. But like the NXT style, I guess, is what we're thinking of. So the lowdown or whatever it's called uh, gets interrupted by by Nidia, and then uh, the ladies tussle in the ring uh, before falling out of it, and then uh, Kim and hits a, a running tornado bulldog, and then hits a shooting star press on Jamie Noble for the win. That shooting star press was something, man. That I don't know. Cool. Okay, I don't know if it's good though. I think every like I think every shooting star press is good, uh, and Michael Cole even goes so far as to call it pretty after the match. But I don't know. His looks kind of <laughs> floppy. He just yeah. Just... yeah Do you think I? I don't know. I think 
Maybe I was just impressed because I wasn't expecting it. I mean, Taz, right. but Taz knew that he did it. Taz kind of foreshadowed it. He's like, he's going right. for it. Blah, blah, blah. So you start press. But uh, I don't know. It got me. I, I was excited. I guess it was a little bit, um, it was a little bit Lita-esque. And he got fairly low to the map before he <laughs> turned over. See, that's not a, that is not a word you want to have to describe your moves. You're coming off the top rope. Lita ask, he's dying here. Uh, I get that. And like, <clears throat> this match is funny because it just feels like an overt reason to give Kimmon a reason to challenge uh, Noble for the title. Because it's like, Kimmon has done nothing for the last few months. Like, he's on velocity. He's losing. Who cares? Uh, but now they're like, okay, well, now we want you to face Jimmy Noble sometime soon. So, boom. You're gonna have a shoe star breast. You're gonna pin him clean in the middle of a uh, a mixed tag team match, and now you have a chance. Um, and so Michael Cole says something about that was huge, probably a huge win for Kim. And then he says, "Speaking of huge, as Big Show walks in the arena, boom!" Uh, fully twelve minutes after the show began, um, he's still got a big silly mustache. He's got a huge leather jacket on. Um, and when they pan out from him, his yeah. pants are horrendous. <laughs> he has these giant, baggy, straight cut. Jeans that are just like when you're that big, I'm sure you don't have any options. It was just too bad. I know, but yeah, not looking. It's not great. okay. So Big Show slams his hand next to the wall in front of a small production man, and he orders him to tell Brock Lesnar that he's here. And he even does this whole this, this absurd. Uh, he goes, "Yes," and he goes, "Do you mean yes, sir?" And oh like, yeah, oh, yeah, just lots of bravado for no reason. Oh yeah, Big Show is laughable. Like, My character I'm going to go with is uh, mean stepdad. That's what I'm going to do. Like <laughs> So, Daniel, I'm going to quickly cover what's happening backstage a little bit this time. So, yeah, please do. Did you know that originally it was not going to be the big show of wrestling Brock Lesnar Survivor Series? I did not know that. They wanted to bring back Hulk Hogan to wrestle Brock Lesnar at Madison Square Garden. Okay. But Hulk Hogan said, I'm not going to come back just for having to lose to Brock Lesnar again. And on some level, it's like, yeah, you he already killed Brock. Like, Brock Lesnar already killed Hulk Hogan. I don't know why you'd bring him back anyway. Like, it doesn't like it's not like we like, oh, we love we want to know what happens. Um, and so at the time they were like, okay, well, if we don't have Hulk Hogan, first of they're like, oh, forget that guy, which is why he's out of the credits. Cause they're like, no, we're done with Hulk Hogan for good. Now he comes Interesting. back less than a year, like <laughs> less than six months. Yeah. Um, yeah. You <laughs> fairly as, soon. as we know. Uh, but, uh, yeah. So they were like, okay, so how, who, who's going to face Brock at Survivor Series? And they had it down between Brock, Big Show and Chris Benoit. They wanted to maybe bring Chris Benoit in. I don't know if that meant he was going to get the title then. Okay. I don't know if they would give Chris Benoit a month-long title reign or something like that. Not sure, but um, Vince McMahon seems to default to going with the big guy in moments of unsurety. So he's like, oh, let's just do a big show. So that's why big show is gets to be your mean stepdad backstage because he's been uh, he's been deemed necessary as part of this whole plot. Huh, interesting. But I have to say, aside yeah. from the bad stepdad act in the hallway – He's bringing his A game. Like he is looking tough. Like in all the action that we're getting outside the ring, pretty impressed. Sure, I get that. Yeah, I mean he's not. I don't like how he looks, but I get. I don't <laughs> like like overweight or yes, he's he huge. Doing? He looks terrible. He's got a dumb look. He's got a stupid mustache. He's got his gear sucks. Um, yes, I, I prefer the black jeans to just the, seeing the rest of that singlet, though. Oh my gosh, that's he's he's really on a journey of discovery in terms of what he's wearing. We'll we'll talk about it tomorrow when we get to his match. But he's he's worn three different things three weeks in a row, and they're all pretty different. Right, kind of, right, this is kind of a mix of both, but we'll get to it. Uh, so SmackDown uh, is brought to you by the movie Half Past Dead, uh, Xbox, Holy and Subway, and of course we're exhorted once again to eat fresh with Subway, which is good. Are you familiar with Half Past Dead as a movie, by the way, Daniel? No, no, I, I, it didn't ring a bell for me. 
Uh, I'm told, oh my gosh, it's a Steven Seagal movie. Hilarious. So I think they're like, you know what? You know who would watch that? Uh, wrestling fans would watch that. And uh, I'm trying to see. Uh, okay, so it made, okay. It opened to $7 million in theaters. Okay. Uh, wasn't that great? Uh, it made $15 million domestic. It made $3 million international for a total of $19 million. Uh, I don't have how much it cost to make. Uh, it was just a Steven Seagal movie, though, too. So I don't think it was necessarily that, like big thing there. So I think Jaw Rule might have been in it as well. Good for Jaw. Anyway, that's half past dead. <laughs> okay. uh, oh, make more. So after we hear the sponsors, we see Tori wandering around backstage after her match. She runs into her father, Al Wilson. Al. Oh, man. So happy for Al this week. So happy for Al. So excited. <laughs> So Al tells her how how with everything he's done, he's done it for Tori. And he says he's been lonely since his divorce. He's going to do something tonight for himself. And he hopes she understands. And he leaves and Tori Wilson says to absolutely no one, what did he mean? <laughs> well, the thing that I find funny about this interaction is that Tori says to Al first. Yeah. Hey, Dad, I really want to talk to you about something. And then Al says, oh. I want to talk to you about something too. Here's my thing. Bye. <laughs> I did not catch that. <laughs> well, that kind of speaks to Al's me- like his mental state where he's like, I, I oh, have yeah. a, I have a plan. I have a list. I have things I wanted to do. It's pretty much just Don Marie. Um, <laughs> sorry, Dom- he probably knows Dom- Dom- she's Dom- going to Dom- tell Dom- him. Yeah. He's just going to, she's just going to tell be a bummer. So. Uh, forget that. Um, that's really funny. <laughs> what a detail. <laughs> what an absolute. I love him being like, I've always been there for you. Uh, yes. And you did ask to talk to me after this and screw that. I'm leaving. Uh, <laughs> nice, Al. Let me see uh, SmackDown's number one announcer, Funaki, of course. Oh, He's yeah. backstage Huge with John pop. Cena. So, so is the pop we get here, I don't know if you remember, is that a SmackDown pop? Is that what you're talking about? Or was that natural? Because he, he got a that. huge thing. He got a reaction, I think. I wouldn't want to notice that. I People uh, love him. Funaki's very lovable. I understand that. Oh, yeah, so he, me too. He's there with John Cena, who's going to face Rikishi a little bit later on tonight. And so John Cena, you know, after last week's, uh, you know, arrival as a rapper, he jumps right in. He says things like, number one announcer is me, not Funaki. Every single match, I got a new pair of shoes. He has all these, all these things. He's rapping. I'm not going to transcribe it every week. I can't do that. It's <laughs> just, just watch it. Right, right. And he's like, <clears throat> most of his raps are very like, he's like, I got a thing to say. And then afterwards, and then here's the thing that finishes it. And he starts a new thing. And then he's like, Rikishi's so small. He's got a big butt. I don't like him. I'll tell him what. And then it's like, and the new thought. It's like, everything's a new paragraph of this rap. It doesn't like, he doesn't build from like, I got a problem with Rikishi from his head to his toes. His face is pretty stupid. His neck is pretty dumb. I hate his little shoulders. I hate his little butt. I don't know. Uh, but I would write that. <laughs> like he doesn't do I'm getting flashbacks of a Daniel Pedapal rap from Oh, years yeah. Ago. Famously, I once supervised a rap about Daniel Pedapal, which someone then added, edited into GarageBand, uh, which I don't really <laughs> want. Uh, I'll send that again to you sometime. Anyway, so <clears throat> Rikishi comes by to offer a rebuttal in a, a kind of in rap form also, but it's kind of slam poetry, right? Yeah. Uh, and so he... Uh, he ends by saying he'll put a piece of the quiche in Cena's face, which yeah, that gets a big SmackDown pop. That's right. Cena, Cena sells that, uh, being told that by acting. He, he makes a face like he got stink-faced in that moment. He's like, oh, no, gosh, horrible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then Rikishi so, ends by saying, word to your mother or whatever. Like he really puts, yeah. It's really, for lack of a better word, I would say he says it really whitely. I can say it as a white guy. He's really kind of like... That's right. Well, well, well. I think he's trying to disparage 
the tradition that John Cena is trying to right. His he's attempted at cultural appropriation, of course. That's what we, we yes. would well, let's call it what it is in two thousand in two thousand twenty one. That's right. Culture that does not belong to him, and he's trying to put it on himself. It's unacceptable. So, the, so the thing about this segment that I found funny was that I thought John Cena's rap was better than Rikishi's. Oh, absolutely. Rebuttal. But then John Cena comes off as the loser, right? In that situation. But if we're having a rap battle, the winner is the one who raps best. But you know what? When people do this, when they rap back to John Cena, the whole thing is like, oh, wow. Like, it's so crazy to see that. Like, a bear in a dress. I can't believe it. Like, it's that's the whole thing of, like, Rikishi doesn't rap. Whereas John Cena's, like, he's talking, like, circles with these people and, like, destroying them and making them, like, embarrassing them in front of people. And then they come back and they're like, Cena is a wiener. And it's like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> what a slam. Unbelievable. Sure, sure. Ah, uh, he said wiener. Anyway, <laughs> so... That's what I, that's all I wanted to hear. That's their match here in a, in, a little, in a couple moments. But then we go backstage. We see a TV playing last week's reveal Reveal that uh, Eric Bischoff was at SmackDown. He's wearing a Vince mask. And then he kisses Stephanie without her consent, even though, yeah, she does kind of give in later on. Although I think the deed is done. I mean, it's it's not consensual in the beginning. It's not consensual. Let's just, let's just... Yeah, no, and, and that's our conscience now. We realize that. We... Yeah, we've we've covered we've covered all we, we've evolved into this here a little bit. And well, so, it's interesting. Why? Here's my question, Matt. Yeah. Why? Why? Why is she watching it back? Ah, such such an excellent question. Like, <laughs> so, like such a weird thing. Like, I would like if I was gonna do that for whatever reason. I would do it alone. I would if I was like trying to deal with the drama of it, or if I maybe I am her and and she's like actually I did like that. Maybe I want to see this man kiss me again. Um, I would. Yeah, I would interrogate that a little bit emotionally. I don't. <laughs> She's just watching it in full view of other people. So, yeah, the camera does pull back because it's like we are watching a tube TV, watching it, and then we pull back. We see Stephanie's there. She has a severe look on her face, so she's not impressed. And so, I love it because it's such a visual medium wrestling that she has to like. She can't be like, "I'm still mad about that." We have to see her looking and be like, "I'm I don't like that." That's right. Yeah. Um. So we see a knock, we we hear a knock, and then in comes Chavo and Eddie Guerrero, SmackDown's resident uh, stirrers of um crap. They like to stir things up backstage. <laughs> It's like their character. They're not the like doing stuff. And so when Stephanie sees what they're doing, uh, sees what Stephanie's doing uh, on television, Java says, "It's a pretty nice hold there, uh, a lip lock." Yeah. I love a wrestling joke. I, li- I love the idea that wrestling permeates the culture backstage that they make wrestling jokes. Oh. Like I want to see that reality. That's great. Like like you know, I want to hear like, "Ah, oh, you want to get her in a bear hug, don't you?" Hey, or something like that. You know, yeah. I think it'd be funny. Um. <laughs> And Stephanie's on edge about that, even though she, it's, it was a week later and she's watching herself. And um, Eddie says he wants to get down to business and he calls Stephanie Mamacita and then he corrects himself and he calls her Patroncita, which uh, means boss. <laughs> 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 so uh, Eddie argues that they should be in the match tonight uh, with a two or three falls match because Eddie beat Angle last week. And Stephanie says, sure, but Edge and Ray beat you guys. To which Eddie says, whoop de ding dong <laughs> like essentially being like, ah, who cares? Like, what is so what? There's nothing better than Eddie Guerrero. Truly, yeah, like very nothing. Yeah. So Stephanie promises Eddie a match at WWE Super Tuesday, uh, which we'll hear about later on. Uh, but also says that Eddie gets the WWE champion, Brock Lesnar, tonight. And, and he's not happy about it. You no, know, he begins to be concerned. And so um Chavo tries to bail Eddie out by saying, like, okay, hold on, we're a tag team now. 
and it doesn't work, so they just leave. <laughs> I'm not although, sure. I, although they leave kind of with that plan still firmly in their head. Right. We are going to beat Brock Lesnar. And you know, we do we do see that a little bit later on. Um, and then so we see Rikishi versus John Cena. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Rock and roll. So John Cena is doing his word life fingers, the thing where you you put both of your fists together, but you have both pinkies extended. But he's still he's still just a jock, just dressed in those. Just as a jock, colors. he's doing that. But he's doing the word life thing to be like, hey, screw you guys. Um, he's also has like rock music for his intro, which is hilarious. That even I mean, I know he had the character last week, but the idea of having rock music now when he's uh, a freestyle rapper is like instantly a, a big mistake. It's it's amazing to me to see the slow transition. Like yeah, like we're we're seeing like week to week him turn into one of. Un, like an iconic character of wrestling. Oh yeah, um, and we're seeing him become that, and it's just really fun to see the slow bleed into that. It would be like if the Undertaker was like kind of dead one week, and then mostly dead the next week. Right, 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 right. So Michael Cole claims that John Cena is stuck in the '80s. Vanilla Ice, he says. But uh, you know, even though Vanilla Ice was active in the 1980s, Daniel, his heyday was very clearly in the '90s. So I gotta oh, say, yeah. Michael Cole. And I think I think people kind of know that too. Like Vanilla Ice is not identified as an '80s rapper; he's a '90s guy. He's an early '90s guy. Yeah, Michael Cole gets it wrong. Yeah, but I I, I miss that first time. For- um, I miss that quote from Michael Cole, so that makes more sense as to why he refers to chocolate ice later. <laughs> oh boy! Anyway, we'll get there. She puts on the face. Horrible. So uh, Cena takes down Rikishi early on. He strikes a kind of karate pose to taunt, which I liked. Uh, and the first part of the match is essentially just John Cena avoiding Rikishi's rear end. That's pretty much what it is. But Cena takes over an offense early on, and he gets a drop kick for the top rope for two. And he got into the more modern like shotgun style drop kick, where he's facing like he kind of extends and kind of powers his legs forward instead of like the falling to the side missile drop kick. So that's kind of fun. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Rikishi gets a big Samoan drop, and then hits Cena in the corner to set up the stink face, and then <clears throat> Rikishi gets him. And Michael Cole says, just like you alluded to, forget vanilla ice. That's chocolate ice. <laughs> And that's just so gross, man. Yuck, 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 yuck. No, thank you. So, okay, the moment that I was referring to earlier is when John C. is trying to avoid Rikishi's butt. He punches and punches Rikishi's butt and, like, breaks his hand. (laughs) That doesn't make sense. It's like, why why that? Why that? That's the softest. Like, we see that butt every week up close. That's the softest butt I've ever seen. And now you're trying to play it off like it has this power to, like, stop punches and, like, hurt people. It, it, one thing of it's like, yeah, if he's hitting people with it and people are like, oh, my gosh, I'm getting destroyed by it. But it's like, no, it's anyway. That's not the worst part about that, but <laughs> uh, anyway, so after the stink face, Cena walks to the sit out spine buster. And then he gets a bonsai drop in the corner. Rikishi just wins just like that. Yeah. So Cena's getting pushed because of this rapping thing, but he immediately loses to Rikishi, which is like, all right, but brighter days are ahead. Well, well, I think I think they're just really trying to feel it out. Like that's what, like they're not sold on right. what he's trying to do. They're just saying, "Hey, you can't lose here. Just like play with some new things, kid." Right? Yeah, they're not being so they're, they're not, not committed like, to him yet. But I think they're liking what they're seeing because I am. Right? They're not like you're gonna be a main event for six months. He kind of does actually, which is impressive. Um, so Rikishi finds his magic Michael Jackson dance hat, which happens sometimes. So just find a hat in the ring, <laughs> little fedora thing, and he puts it on. And he dances, and he says, Michael Cole says, this is what SmackDown is all about. <laughs> oh, no, not really. It's not about a man dancing in the middle of the ring. <laughs> Love. 
I, and I, love I suppose how they he bust out these camera angles that we never see any other time. Right. Except for over Casey's dancing. And all of a sudden we get these like cool, like cinematic effects. <laughs> Yeah, it's cute. It's it's cute. I, it's so funny that they, every now, like every six weeks, they'll just be like, "And hey, Rikishi dances, and it's magic. <laughs> like a special <laughs> magic dance time. <laughs> not a regular thing. Not like it's uh, not like we're capturing a live event that's actually happening. Anyway, yeah. Sure, in my fun. notes, I wrote Rikishi dance party just cause. <laughs> oh, truly, just cause. Could be, well, I'm sure. I wonder if they do that every every week, just so they have like a minute they can add or take away from the show if they need to. Right, <laughs> right, right. Like it's not live, so we have to be like fit it in. So we go backstage with Matt Hardy, and he's with Shannon Moore. And uh, he just gave him his V1 shirt, uh, which I think was the first Matt Hardy shirt, if I'm not mistaken. I actually had this shirt. I'm okay. proud of it. Okay, nice. It it's medium, I'm sure. Or men's medium. Boys medium was like the size of a, a cracker. Um, so Matt asked Shannon if he watched the tape that he gave him, and Shannon said that he did. And then uh, they're, you know, they're right by this, uh, this coffee maker, and so Shannon puts sugar in his coffee, and Matt gives him grief for it, saying it's empty calories, and it could lead to a serious twist of fate. And then uh, Matt dubs Shannon Moore a Mattitude follower or MFR for short, which is the first time we <laughs> called an MFR, which is funny. Shannon Moore does not like that. Shannon Moore is weirdly like, uh, as I recall later on, he becomes much more sycophantic about this, where he's just like, like worshiping Matt Hardy. But now he's kind of like, he seems like he's just like his friend was like, I have an idea. What if you just follow me? <laughs> he's like, all right, fine. Well, well, I was really interested by this whole relationship thing because we've taken a hiatus from this. There was a little, this was starting to bloom. Yes, where and he's like, he's like showing him some tapes and stuff. Yeah, where we just didn't see anything. Yeah, he he got busy with like Brock Lesnar and uh, the Undertaker feud a little bit. Yeah, so now he's back, and my question to Shannon Moore is, wait, like why? Why are you hanging around this guy? Like you don't look like you're into what he's saying. He's obviously an idiot. I, you like, know what? My my first thought. <laughs> this is such a stupid thought. <laughs> my first thought is that I bet it's like. Either he like has to drive on the road with him, or like they go to like when they go out for food together. Like Matt will often buy the food. That's my guess. Is that he's like <laughs> he's like Shannon like, oh, this guy's too much. But it's like oh, we go to Waffle House. Matt does pick up the bill, and he like he he makes a whole thing of it, and it's all about his ego. But he does do that, and so maybe I'll just try this out. Amazing. Amazing. So Matt says he's going to talk to Brock Lesnar because they've got some issues to hash out, and he flashes the V one hand side to Shannon Moore, who hesitates about doing. <laughs> Well, is he like, is he recognizing that it looks like something else? Oh boy, I don't know. I don't know. I don't That's know. what it looked like to me. He was I like, don't know. If, I, I think, think he, was, he smirked. I he thought like, he was like always being kind of like, well, how do I even do that? Because it's, it's, it's unusual. You know, yeah, I don't know, man. I was uh, like, I was like all rocker and shocker. I've never, I've never gone down that road with that. I've never really thought of that. Okay. And it wasn't, like, wasn't I didn't know. So, 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 sorry, I'm taking you there, Matt. I'll just, I'll I'll just pedal back here. You there. That's you. In the midnight hour, uh, then we see Don Marie is backstage. She, she guess she's oiling her legs, just to think people do. Well, yeah. uh, I mean, at a wrestling show, it's actually very common for wrestlers to oil their legs. <laughs> Don Marie maybe makes a little less sense. So, Al Wilson comes over, and Don asks if he wants to ask that question out in public, and whether or not he talked to Tori. He says he wants to ask her that question in the ring. He says, "I know my heart. I know what's right, and that's it." And I gotta say, wow! I really wonder what this question is gonna be. I have no idea. <laughs> well, well, you know what though? When this was all going down, because they weren't referring to it directly. Yeah. I was like, oh, are they gonna swerve? Is it uh, gonna be something silly? What else could it be? Well, it is. It is. <laughs> well, no, but I, I was thinking, like, is it gonna be like, hey, Don, will you buy a dog with me? Or something. <laughs> 
So uh, I have a question asked. The question is, Tori, will you uh, will you sign a paper that says I can exhume your mother from the grave because I think she was murdered? That'd be interesting. <laughs> right, right. Well, like, because I was a little bit kind of like, well, okay, so second engagement in like pretty close proximity here. Like it's sort of like. Right. Well, they point it out too. They make a point of it. They talk about it. <laughs> like, I guess. Uh, I just I just love it. Like it is also funny, too, because they also play it for drama a little bit later on. Like, well, is she going to say yes or no? And it's like Don Marie knows fully what question is coming. They're talking about it backstage right now. Right. Yeah. Uh, but before that, we see Matt Hardy that and he found Paul Heyman backstage. And Paul Heyman greets him, goes, Matthew, how are you? Which <laughs> I I can only pray. That's how Paul Heyman would greet me if he saw me uh, backstage. Or something. He goes, Matthew, how are you? I go, Paul. So good. My my hey, man. Um, so Matt says Big Show uh, was looking for Brock. Uh, and then Matt essentially starts to make his case. He says, you know, I beat Taker Taker twice for Brock. I softened him up for Brock. I want to march up to Stephanie and Alex to face the big show. And uh, Paul Heyman, he finds it hard to express his gratitude for Matt. This whole Mattitude thing, it's going to be the next big thing, he says. So he leaves and finds Brock in his dressing room. And Paul Heyman says he negotiated the deal of the century to get Matt Hardy to face big show. And Brock doesn't seem to get the humor of it, which is too bad. Uh, you know, he wants to beat up Big Show, but Heyman says, just wait till Survivor Series, man. Like, let's wait to unleash the animal. And then we go to Al Wilson walking down to the ring with absolutely no music. No tight drawn. <laughs> just, it just looks like anyone's father walking down the ring. And this is a proud moment, Matt. I'm just so happy for him. He is seizing his destiny. He is, he is making, he's making a man out of himself. I'm just, I'm so happy for Al Wilson right now. So he gets to the ring and he he goes under the second rope to get in the ring, which is a little bit more feminine. Usually the gentlemen go over the second rope, not underneath, but he goes under the bottom rope. But maybe he was told to do that. It would make him look like a little bit more pathetic. (laughs) So the commentators are immediately, Cole and Taz are immediately making fun of his lack of charisma in his voice. I I think someone says Kermit or something like that. Like they're instantly just dunking on him. Yeah, Taz, Taz was pretty mean here. So Al gets on the mic. He talks about Tori. And as soon as he mentions Tori, there's a huge SmackDown pop. <laughs> it's like the fans are not actually excited. He asked Don to join him. Because Taz is openly laughing at this point. He's like, oh, yeah. He, it's funny. It is funny. Um, as, as, as Don Marie is on our way down, Michael Cole says, we may be about to see the greatest train wreck in SmackDown history. This is before A-Train shows up on the show, which is kind of remarkable. <laughs> Great. And then they start, they start doing this whole thing where I think Michael Cole, uh, I think Taz goes, look at Dawn. And Michael Cole goes, look at Al. Like this, this whole thing of like this back and forth. Look at Dawn. Look at Al. Like, oh my gosh. Can you look, essentially being like, look how hot she is. Look how doofy this guy is. <laughs> and so Al, Al says, uh, since he met Dawn, he's felt strong, sexy, and virile. She made him virile. He makes the whole thing a whole virile thing. So, so this this is this is the thing where I just loved it. I was eating this up because I could just imagine Al Wilson in Gorilla with Vince McMahon, and Vince McMahon is like, "Say she's made you virile." Yeah, I mean that's pretty much Vince being like, "This is Vince playing," uh, you know, like in a video game as Al. He's imagining himself as Al instead of Don. Um. Yeah, so Don made him feel like a man. And so Al drops to one knee. And we see shots of the crowd being awkward. And he asks, oh, if, yeah. she'll, he asks if she'll marry him. And the commentators are begging her to say no. Which I thought was so <laughs> rude. And, they say, and then someone says, I didn't think we could get any worse than Billy and Chuck. And uh, Don takes her time. She's pacing the commentators like, oh, no. And then Al Wilson says, and this completely shocked me. 
He says, if you say no, I'll kill myself. I oh my God. gosh. I was like, that took a turn. I was shocked to that. And then Taz says, say no, it'll make great TV. <laughs> Taz wants Al Wilson to kill himself on UPN. That's the show we're watching, folks. Oh, this oh my is... gosh. So yeah, so Al Wilson immediately loses confidence and then goes right to the make like like horrible manipulation territory thing. Anyway, apparently he didn't need to because to Al's great surprise, Don says yes. And then she points to her finger because he doesn't pull out a ring yet. And so Al fumbles to grab a ring box and then puts a ring on her finger after that. Huge rock. Huge rock. He says huge rock. <laughs> and, and then Taz Taz begs for a commercial break. <laughs> And we get one. And it's so funny. It's such a weird television to be like, this guy sucks. This segment is bad. Cuts a commercial. Please let this guy kill himself. (laughs) So I was seeing this stuff. I loved this segment. I thought it was hilarious. Like, I thought that everybody did their part to make, to bring the awkwardness to the fore. But as well, right, we're we're supposed to be interpreting Don Marie as the real manipulator here, right? Like, she's really like... Kind of, but at this point, I don't know what she's like. It's not like it's not like Al is rich. It's not like she's not uh, being uh, nice to Al. It's not like they don't have a physical relationship that he enjoys. Like, I. But, but the way that she was pacing back and forth, not answering the question, looking at the crowd. Oh, you thought she was going to turn on him? Yeah, like I, I thought. Yeah, I thought that she was gearing up for like a look at this fool, thinking that he can get with me. And then Tori has to face her in like Helena Sol or something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think they're <laughs> going to get there. Oh, yeah. Well, they get there. Hell of a Cell 2023. We'll see. It. Yeah, exactly. We'll see if we get there. Uh, so uh, we when we come back from the commercial break, uh, it, it's the JVC Tower of Power Extreme Blast of the Night. And uh, it's Big Show Show Slamming. Brock through the announce table last week. And uh, so then next up here, we have Big Show versus Matt Hardy. And so Big Show's outfit, which I alluded to earlier. He now he has his singlet top. He's wearing a singlet, but over his singlet, he's wearing dark, big dark blue jeans. And so last like two weeks ago, he was wearing a singlet, and it was, it was not a great look. And then last week, he's wearing like just street clothes. They don't even mention it that it's street clothes. He's just like wearing a shirt and pants. And this week, he's going pants but a singlet top. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know why they're changing this. He doesn't look better. Look you mentioned worse. it earlier, Matt. He's just on a journey of discovery. That's, he's, I guess. Just, just let him rock and roll. <clears throat> still, still trying to be the, the mean stepdad here, I guess, by looking embarrassing in front of people. But uh, we cut away from Big Show's entrance to see uh, intrepid journalist Mark Lloyd running backstage. He's heading towards Tori Wilson. And he asks her for a comment on her dad's engagement. And, and she is teary-eyed. And she grabs the mic and tosses it down before running out of the building. So Troy Wilson is not doing okay with she's the She's devastated. She's devastated. The Don Marie will be her mother. So <laughs> Matt Hardy comes out, and the Matt facts this week are Matt hates cold weather, and Matt scored a 1330 in his SATs, which, if I'm not mistaken, is very good. Very, very, good. very proud of that. Almost certainly not true. So <clears throat> now they only started using this whole screen graphic a couple weeks ago, hey? Like mm-hmm. within the last month or so, yeah. Yeah. They, they change I like I like it. I like it. They do a good job of making it look like old uh an old Windows media player or something. Yeah, it's really it's really good. Like it's funny. I, I love how much effort they put into him. It shows yes. they believe what he's doing here. So um Matt Hardy starts out strong, but he gets clotheslined by Big Show. He goes out on the apron, he gets whipped into the post and falls to the floor. 
And then we see uh, Paul Heyman and Brock Lesnar are, are shown watching the match backstage, and Brock is pacing angrily because that's Brock's deal. So Big Show gets Matt in a bear hug, but Matt uh, gets out of it by biting his nose. It would <laughs> that seem. was amazing. That was and amazing. He even seems to really bleed from it because he bleeds during this, and you see blood later when he comes back on the show. Okay, interesting. I didn't catch that. That's awesome, though. I was just cool. like, this is this is brilliant. Like, and the ref doesn't do anything. Like, isn't there a disqualification for something like that, or is that just like a one, two, three, break the hold? Like, what? Yeah, I don't know if it's like you're, you know, hey, you, if you're gonna do the, the Penguin from Batman Returns thing, uh, you, you should get probably disqualified, but um, disqualified, disqualified, <laughs> disqualified, disqualification. Um, so yeah, so <laughs> instead, Matt, uh, he goes to the, he goes to the, goes to the second rope. And he does his, his trademark, oh, yell. Uh, but instead of whatever he's trying to do, he gets caught and drops with a choke slam and gets pinned instantly. Yes. And so Big Show has a mic. And I got to ask, why do you keep making him talk after he gets out of breath during a match? They did this last week where he's like, Brock Lesnar. He's struggling. He's struggling. I need to sit down. <laughs> but, but this time he just simply says he's going to be the next champion. More but or I less. Do, I do like the short and sweet promo. I think it's effective. It's not a bad move, actually. Like, give me the mic. I'll say two things, then I'll be done. It's like that's good. I don't want you. Don't need to overstay your welcome. And, and it leads to making Brock Lesnar mad. He's very mad. We see Brock and Heyman again, and Brock angry grabs the TV, he smashes it to the ground. That's Paul Heyman. And that, well, what a smash, man! It like oh yeah, explodes. I was well, that's very you, impressed. That's what you get back then, man. Yeah, you man. have your uh, your old tube TVs like that. You get the glass and everything like that. Now you have to like really beat up the TVs to get anything good well, out. Because you break you break TVs now, and nothing happens. It just like kind of slides yeah. apart a little bit. I was just watching the Apple TV Plus series, uh, The Morning Show, and at one point Steve Carell breaks the TV in that, and he has to like hit it with a fire poker a bunch because it just is a screen you smack. Right. <laughs> yeah. Good show. Um, so Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit versus Edge Ray Mysterio, two out of three falls match for the WWE Tag Team Championship. Here we are. This is the match. We're here. Here we go, man. Oh, what I've been waiting all night for. So Kurt's got his half gold, half American flag tights on, and the, the gold kind of matches the gold of his belt. So it looks pretty great. And so Benoit comes out, uh, and then he and Kurt Angle stare each other down. We see clips from the Halloween party brawl last week. They make a point. They make the point of showing that Benoit hit him with a glass because they really want people to know that. It looked really cool, though. That was a oh, great yeah. shatter. Oh, it was very good shatter. Uh, the second best glass shattering wrestling. Uh, so Rey Mysterio <laughs> comes out dressed in pink, which is a bold choice. It kind of clashes with edges and red tights. That's okay. Uh, okay, well, here's my question, Daniel. Um, shouldn't this be the main event? Like I know they want to make the the main storyline the main storyline, and they want to make a big deal out of it. But like this is a big, this is a huge match with huge guys. Yeah, yeah, but but you got the thing where um, you're also using Eddie in the main event, and he's been pulling off some really amazing matches. Okay, so you think Eddie being there, it's more than just like uh, Brock Lesnar versus like Crash Holly kind of thing. That's Correct. fair. <clears throat> I respect that. I just think it's it's so strange they keep putting these huge tag team matches and don't have them at the end because they're like, oh, we got to have Brock Lesnar do something, or it's a big show come out and like punch. Well, here's the, here's the thing, right? Is that like yeah. <clears throat> this week I'm watching this and I'm like, oh yeah, this is the heart of this era. Like Matt is right. Oh yeah. Like, these are the SmackDown Six. This is the heart of it. Oh yeah, I'm right. But but it can't be the heart of this if it's not in the middle, right? Like <laughs> that's not true. I got. <laughs> I like what you're trying to do. You little manipulative talk. Well, the heart of the middle of the show. It all makes sense. <laughs> Aren't you a clever man? But, but, but at the same time, I, I, that's a silly logic. But there is something to be said for 
these these are the top guys to be, right? So right. they're building these guys to be the top guys of the future. So they're giving them a prominent spot, but they're not going to give them away just yet, right? Who we I say? But I get what you mean. That's fine. <clears throat> uh, but Rey Mysterio does not seem any worse for wear after getting thrown uh, into the crowd last week. Eh? I guess he was caught. <laughs> right. and, and you're right about that pink. It's a little obnoxious. It's a very big pink. I don't know if I'm allowed to say pink is bad. Like, I can't be like, you know, in some ways, like a guy wearing pink. Bold. Okay. Um, yeah, but not even that. Just like, it's loud. It's just it loud. Is a very loud. So we start with the first fall. I, I mentioned that I've been watching yeah. uh, Thunderdome wrestling, which is right. The most recent kind of last last uh, the COVID era of wrestling here. That's right. And so watching some Dominic Mysterio. Oh yeah. His son. So so it's been it was really interesting watching this and being like, oh yeah, like Dominic is all trained by Ray. Like right, everything see. he does is everything that Ray is doing here. And so it was just a really interesting thing to be able to compare and contrast. Nice. So just wanted to. Race training is just like, okay, watch uh, SmackDown from 2002 and 3 and do that. And that's your wrestling. Just do that. That's just right. Keep... The, the, the arm drags are identical. Oh, that's funny. Oh, that makes sense too, though. So uh, before they before they really get started, Benoit and Angle push each other to kind of like, hey, I want to start. I want to start. But Angle likes to start. And Michael Cole repeats. <laughs> this is, makes me mad. Michael repeats that Angle and Benoit can't touch each other or they'll be suspended for a year. But isn't that that's over now that they're champions, right? Because they just wrestled two weeks ago and they ran around and beat the hell out of each other last week. Why is Cole saying this? Yeah, and it's this weird forced logic where that rule only applies from bell to bell. I get we that doesn't mean yeah, that's weird. No, because then they fought each other. This is like they fought each other in match, they fought each other out of matches. <laughs> they fought each other in a can, they fought each other they fought each other's MIM like uh, on a bus. I don't know what Cole thinks he's accomplishing here. They don't like each other, and they they have they're literally punching each other in front of us. We don't need to be told that they can fight. It's like, yeah, no, I get it. They don't like it. Right. So Ray starts for the good guys, and Ray goes in the corner, but he slips under Angle, and he, he does a little double leg kick to him. And after an arm drag, uh, Mysterio leads Angle in a chase, and he uses kind of a six one nine to evade Angle and make him fall right out of the ring. And yeah, this and- is an excellent cat and mouse. Just oh yeah. To start it off like like I love cat and mouse stuff. And yeah. This was like a great example of it. The way that Angle just dives out of that. Uh, yeah, and and, and the fact great. that when he comes back in, he's applauding Ray, being like, "All right, you got there. You go, good job, buddy. Clap, clap." And so Angle gets a clothesline, and then Ray kips right back up, and Edge gets tagged in, and then Angle takes a moment to yell at Ray for tagging out. Yeah, that's right. He makes he like kind of points, looks around, and he's like, "Hey, I wanted to fight you." And then he tags in Benoit. Benoit is like reluctant now. He's like, "Why? Why do you want me in now?" And, uh, and this is where I'm like, whoa, Benoit Edge, you should have talked about your pants. <laughs> oh, yeah. No. Oh. Um, so Edge gets some arm drags and he gets some kind of a weird drop kick. I don't think it's enough air, if I recall correctly. And uh, Michael Cole takes the time to run over Edge's tag team title partners before. Kuda Christian and, uh, oh, right, uh, Hulk Hogan. Yes. Uh, which is funny to hear those guys group together. And funny that, like, one of the first weeks there, Hulk Hogan is out of the theme because he's on the outs with WWE. Is he brought up during a match? <laughs> They can't get away from that guy. He gets so, brought up a couple times. He does. That's right. He does. Yeah, Paul Heyman later on mentions him. That's right. Gosh. That's right. They should have been like, Paul Heyman. Yeah, like, Hulk Hogan, who's a racist now? No, that'll be years later. We find that out. <laughs> um, so Benoit drops Edge with the back suplex. He tags an angle who stomps Edge and keeps him down. And then he pops Ray in the corner. He's not ready for it because he's a bad dude, you know. And he suplexes Edge and he gets two. And then Angle tags in Benoit and he holds Edge open for him. And, you know, I'm just watching this. I'm thinking, like, if these guys are just like, Get along, like they just need a like a couple's retreat together. That's what they should have had. 
problems. Like, you know, we're pretty good together. All Angle has oh, to do yeah. act like he's the best guy of all time. And then Ed Benoit needs to just be a little less crazy. Uh, in real life, too. That would be great. So Benoit goes for a German suplex. Um, but Edge counters into an execution DDT, which no one reacts like it's his finisher. And it's like fully his finisher this time. Oh, right. And he doesn't cover. He just tags in Ray. And Ray springs towards him with a drop kick for uh, leg drop, sorry, for two, which is cool. Um, and then Benoit goes to the corner. Angle comes in and he gets knocked into him. And then he gets dumped out of the ring. And then Edge and Ray sit up and execute their alley-oop and Rana, which is always so oh, fun. Amazing. How much you love that, man. Uh, the, the stuff that's happening during this match yeah. is just blowing my mind where they're setting up counters and they're doing these really cool spots and they got yeah. the psychology going on of like this whole time Angle and Benoit remembering they hate each other and they're kind of fighting off to the side and right. Ray and Edge are taking advantage of that and I'm just I'm just trying to think like okay how was this match put together because this feels like they had to just sit down at the back and they just planned it spot for spot, and they're just executing it. Because it seems so well-oiled, and it seems so spot-on. It and is I'm really just good. like, this must have been just like, uh, they took out a pen and paper, and they just said this, then this, then this, then this, then this, then this. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, it's it's tough, right? Because they have such these big, these big spots, right? And then, uh, you know, even... And then they do because this leads right into uh, Edge lifting Benoit up in the power bomb, and then Ray does the springboard kind of senton. He rides Benoit down, and that yeah. gets the first pinfall. So, so the Edge and Eddie, uh, sorry, Edge, Edge and Ray Mysterio are up one fall to nothing. And I love it too. The timekeeper hits one little ding on the bell to note the fall. Ding. Oh, is that all it was? I, I, yep. I, I didn't, uh, I didn't notice because I was going to complain later about like why was there no indication that the fall was over. But I guess yeah, was, I, I just missed it. And I am an advocate of this. I've said, I think I've said this before. Where in the elimination chamber, if you get eliminated, there should be a ding. One ding. It doesn't have to be ding, 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 like the end of a match. But you, we need a signifier because like it happens all the time in these matches where like referee counts to three. He goes three points to the timekeeper. Nothing happens. The guy just leaves. And you're like, I need a signifier that something took place. Give me the bell. Well, we've been so accustomed. To a match ending or something significant happening, and we hear that ding, ding, ding. And so, in elimination chamber matches, great example. I feel those eliminations are always anticlimactic because my senses as a wrestling fan are so accustomed to the bell ring. Yeah, so yeah, it's like great. a little Pavlovian, which is okay. Yeah, I'm on board with that. So we begin the second fall. Angle steams in all mad, and he hits Ray with a belly to belly suplex for two. And he gets a back suplex also for two. Then Benoit tags in. He puts Ray on his shoulders uh, like a Death Valley driver style. And he starts to climbing to the second rope with Ray. And Ray fights off. He counters the Bulldog from the second rope. And they each go for tags. And Edge comes in. He's got a lot of energy. And then Benoit gets tossed out of the ring into the camera guy. And it's kind of like, a, whoa. It's like a whole moment yeah. there. And then Kurt <laughs> love gets... when camera guys get it. I love oh, that. yeah. Kurt gets belly to belly by Edge. Then Edge sets up a spear on Angle. But Angle dodges, and Benoit clocks Edge of the title belt instead, which looks really good because like Edge's momentum barely so like changes at all. Like he just seems like he's going full fledged into the ropes where he gets hit with a belt. Um, and then interestingly, he gets hit with a belt, and then Angle locks on the ankle lock, which is not like it's not like he's like just covered him for the pin like the one two three. Um, so he, even though Edge is woozy, he gets in an ankle lock, and Ray tries to break it up, but he gets tossed off the top by Benoit, and a dazed Edge kind of gently taps out. We're all tied up, so just like that, boom, boom, two falls. And we're into the main main crux of it here. Yeah, so, like, so good. Point, and the way that Angle and Benoit work together in terms of this, like, Benoit keeping Ray at bay so that Angle can get the ankle lock on, like, just yeah. really cool psychology for this story. Oh, yeah. Really, 
really and is. I like I like it too because like like one guy that you would like have a hard time keeping a grip on like keeping him out of the ring would be Rey Mysterio right like he's so slippery and so like yes he'd be everywhere so the idea would be like oh, no I can't like I'm just trying to like pin him down like it's so much harder than with Edge um, but does it make sense for this to be a two or three falls match because like the first two falls came like pretty quickly like it's not like it's matches like extra long so, that's so I what I'm wanting a two or three falls match like I want a match that's like forty minutes if it's two or three falls no I I had this thought I was like oh this is moving fairly quickly yeah. Um, for this, but at the same time, um, it still does what it's looking to do. It's still creating that tension and still creating those extra feels. So I'm, uh, you're still, I'm still all on board for it. Yeah, that's good then. Okay, good. Um, I'm not opposed to, I mean, I mean, like in, if you compare it to real sports, sometimes people score quickly and stuff too. So that's yeah, okay. And we've seen, we've seen matches that are fairly short. Yes. On SmackDown. Oh Yeah. We're gonna see all sorts of them. The main events, although although these are fairly definitive conclusions to the falls, though. These oh yeah, aren't like roll ups or anything. These well, are... except for uh, this next fall. Um, oh, wait. Yeah. <laughs> so we go to the third fall, and since Edge is dazed, I think that Angle should just pin him and win. It seems obvious, but instead we go to commercial break, um, and Angle and Benoit are fighting as we take the break. When we come back, Kurt Angle and Rey Mysterio are in the ring. Uh, Ray gets tripped up by Benoit, and Angle covers him for two. Then Angle spins and throws Ray out of the ring. I love that whenever a guy like. Instead of just tossing him over, he like does that whole spin with him to get more momentum. And he, ah, he really chucks him out there. And so Benoit beats him up outside. And uh, this is when I realized like they're not doing a totally classic like hot tag style tag team match. Like they keep trading off, and it's not a bad thing. Like there's already been two falls, and there's already, there's been hot tag, but it's not the whole like dynamic of like okay, so seventy percent of the matches Edge gets beat up, and then Ray mis- and sorry Ray gets beat up, and then Edge comes in. But it's nice. Well, well, did they do that awesome spot yet where? Both guys are in the middle of the ring down, and they're both like crawling towards their tag team partners. I think they've done versions of that a couple times. Because that was awesome. Oh yeah, they do good ones. So Edge comes in, he beats Angle in the corner, and Edge comes after Angle, but he gets a suplex belly to belly, and then Angle takes it. Benoit, who uh, back drop body drops Edge, he hits him with a backbreaker for two, and then Benoit hits a, a half crab cinched in, and so Angle and Benoit uh, are swap back and forth. They beat up Edge, uh, and this is like right after. Right after, I'm like, huh, there's no hot tags. And it's like, it feels like they're now currently doing exactly that. Um, Benoit hits Edge with a back superplex, but there's no cover, and both guys do the tag. That might be what the warrior you're talking about there, Daniel. Okay. And Ray and Angle come in, and Angle hits a shoulder in the corner, and so Ray gets a Bronco Buster, and then uh, Benoit grabs him, though, and germs him to death, which is great. Uh, and then uh, Angle gets dropped on the second rope, and he dodges a 619. And then Ray does his insane move again, where... Angle tosses him in the air and he lands with two feet on the top rope, bouncing perfectly with no help from his hands. Oh, yeah. It's unbelievable. Like, oh my gosh. It's actually one of the craziest things. And then he just jumps backward, no look, and he lands on Angle for an electric chair drop. Uh, but instead, he spins and he goes for a Hurricane Rana. And then Angle stops him, but then Ray kind of flips back over his shoulders for a sunset flip. And when he covers him, uh, Brian Hebner counts to three, even though uh, Brian, Kurt Angle clearly has his hands on the ropes. Yes. And Ray's music plays, and Angle and Benoit harass Brian Hebner, and we take a commercial break before we know what's going on. So good. So this here, so you mentioned story earlier in this episode. Right. And I wanted to talk about story, because people talk about wrestling, Mm -hmm. and they talk about story in wrestling as far as, like, the larger overarching, more dramatic story piece. But then you also hear a lot of conversations between wrestling fans of the love of the story from bell to bell. Right. Where there's a story that's told during a particular match. And there's times where I've been having these conversations. And it's hard for me to be sold on the story of a match when it's just like 
this opponent worked on this other opponent's leg for the match. Right. Yeah, that's kind and of that classic. Was, that's what that's what people say his story is, right? Is that like he yeah. works the leg and then he gets the leg and then it, yeah. So that's the story. So he works the leg, gets the submission on the leg, wins the match. That's the story. Right. And it's like, okay, that's cool, I guess, but it's not as convincing to me when you're talking about that kind of story in the context of these overarching like soap opera style stories. Right. <clears throat> Until I see a match like this. This third fall is an excellent example of story, like in-match story in wrestling. We're like, we're getting a fourth fall. We're getting our heroes, getting their victory stolen from them. And they have to now fight back for it that much harder to get it. It creates all of this, like, yeah, the, this two out of three falls match would have been anticlimactic for me if it wasn't for this. This changed right. everything for me. And I was all in for the fourth fall. Right. I would argue there's not a fourth fall, by the way. Cole, Michael Cole <laughs> says it's a fourth fall. I'm like, no, I just restarted. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's, a nice, it's a nice way of expressing what, we're, what part of the match we're talking about. I so get I, it. <laughs> I get it. Whatever. I'm still, it's still Michael Cole just says like, oh, it's what it is. And it's just like, I get you want me to believe that, but I'm not picking what you're buying when you're selling, buddy. I'm so buying we, everything Michael Cole sells. I know. You love it. Um, okay, so we see what happens after the commercial break. We see Angle even kind of kicks out during Ray's cover. Like, Ray's got kind of a sloppy cover. Like, so, Brian Hemmer, you shouldn't even count it three, buddy. Like, how's the professional pride? Um, but then he the referee, tell, or Hemner tells the announcer, hey, I'm going to restart the match. And so we start we start with the action in earnest here. Uh, and Ray hits both Angle and Ben with a drop kick. And uh, Michael Cole also calls this overtime. <laughs> it's like, no, it's not that either. Um Angle and Ben will start tagging out and beating up Ray, and Ben will hit a, a gut wrench suplex for two, and then Angle gets back in, and then Angle hits another suplex, but Edge interrupts it for the pinfall, interrupts the pinfall, rather. Uh, Ray gets a wheelbarrow into a DDT, and they reach for their tags. Mysterio gets a tag, and Edge comes in, he hits a, a missile drop kick, then he hits a spinning heel kick, then edge matic on uh, Angle for two. Uh, and then Angle gets an ankle lock on Edge. Uh, but he knocks Angle into the lowest turnbuckle, and so uh, Ray hits a six one nine around the ring post onto him. Kind of, I like when oh, Ray's amazing. six one nines in different places, which is great. And then Ed Edge gets up and he runs off the ropes and hits a spear on Angle, and he gets it, and, and he gets a count of two before Benoit comes off the top and hits a flying headbutt. Uh, now that said, <gasps> Edge does take forever to cover him, and the ref really does a slow count to make sure this whole moment happens. Yes, a little noticeable. But it was That's great. A... It was great. Yeah. So Benoit goes up for this flying headbutt, but he moves. Edge moves, and Angle gets it instead. And so Edge covers him, and he gets the one, two, three. They win the fall, the match, the tag team titles. Edge and Rey Mysterio are victorious here. That end sequence was brilliant. Like. Yeah. Well, and that's if, it, it tells the story of listening. It's who they are. Listening to this podcast, and you just listen, and you don't watch these episodes. Just go and watch this match. But if yeah. you're not even going to do that, watch the end of this match because. It's very good. I mean, the fact that, it, it, you know, part of the miscommunication and lack of trust between Angle and Benoit losing the titles is like, yeah, that's what that's just makes sense that that would be what happens. It's only fitting. It's only just It's right and just. Uh, and as they celebrate, um, I see that Ray Mysterio has an elbow pad that says the answer on it. I don't know what that means, but it just says the answer. OK. Um, and so yeah, they win the titles. And so we see a match graphic for Eddie and Brock Lesnar later. Uh, and Taz simply offers good luck, Eddie, <laughs> which I like. Uh, just like, well, he's gonna die. It's always just, it's just I'm funny when the commentators just take things for granted. We're just like, oh, good friggin' luck with that, buddy. And then I think Michael Cole says, Lester's an animal. And uh, we come back for a break, and Michael Cole and Taz are hyping Tuesday Super Tuesday show, which uh, includes the quote, first ever internet babe of the year bikini challenge. 
Amazing. Which is between women's champion and Raw Diva, Trish Stratus and Tori Wilson. Yeah, teenage Daniel is flipping out at this point. He's like, oh my god, I need Could to be about the best thing on Tuesday. Two hot women. That's insane. Um, and I really hope Tori Wilson is emotionally stable so she can parade herself out there on Tuesday. Uh, now, here's the thing. Uh, I I watched Super Tuesday just to kind of figure out what happened. So, yeah, so the, the two of the ladies come out, they show the bikinis, and then all of a sudden, Nitty runs in. <clears throat> okay. So Nitty runs in, she attacks Tori Wilson, but Trish Stratus and Tori Wilson work together to get rid of Nitty. And so somehow this bikini contest ends in a no contest. So they just <laughs> okay both get to win. Um, well, they have to preserve their uh, swimsuit integrity. Right, exactly. Yeah, because yeah. who's going to get the next bikini push to become the bikini world champion? If you're just losing bikini contests left and right, it makes no sense logically why you would keep getting good matches. Well, because that that would be an actually interesting competition as far as the fan reaction goes, because that's how they've been right. doing these competitions. Right, because that like, that would be more of a split. I think. Yeah, it's like mean. It's also, I mean, it's also funny they do with the girls, the, the good girls and the bad girls too, because this is like, I mean, the fans just wanted to see attractive women, and they're both attractive. So <laughs> I don't know what you're trying to get here. So the raw component of the uh, Super Tuesday show is a ten te- ten man tag team match between. Uh, let me re- read you these teams. It's Christian, Chris Jericho, and Three Minute Warning and Triple H against Rob Van Dam, Bubba Ray Dudley, Jeff Hardy, Kane, and Booker T. Just a real hodgepodge of random guys. <laughs> just like, let's get as many of you working tonight as possible. Sure. I mean, Go the other it. team is mostly just everybody's in the elimination chamber, pretty much. And so, as you might be able to guess, Triple H hit Kane with a pedigree after Kane got hit in the back of the chair from Ric Flair when he got pinned one, two, and three. And when he won, I just laughed. <laughs> just like Triple H can't help it. Even if it's like this random Tuesday show, he's like, still, when I need to win with the pedigree. It's like, come <laughs> on, man. Oh, my gosh. He's like, I'm going to lose on Sunday. And then we see a graphic for Edge versus Chris Benoit and Eddie Guerrero, um, which is hilarious. Because Edge, Edge is rocking the tag team championship. But here's the thing: he has an alter. He already has a WWE tag team title, which is funny because if you're watching on the network, the, the between from the time when Edge gets a pinfall to when you see that graphic is one minute and fifty seconds. Yes, yeah, I loved it. I was like, wow, they worked on that. Quick. Easily the quickest graphic changeover of all time in terms of how they do that. Now, of course. Um, there's obviously a commercial break, but if there's a commercial break, it's still less than five minutes. And we're yeah, supposed to show like, it live. My, my sense is that <laughs> whoever's doing the graphic was told to do it earlier. Wait, 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 Edge just has the title and he didn't win it? I wouldn't agree to give him the title if I was Kurt Angle or Chris Benoit. I'd be like, no, he doesn't deserve it. Now, here's the funny thing about that, though, Daniel, uh, is that when they when they end up having a match Super Tuesday, neither Eddie Guerrero, no, sorry, neither Chris Benoit nor Edge has the belt when they come out, even though Chris Benoit, when they filmed the match, was the champion, and when they released the match, Edge was champion. But neither one comes down with a belt. Oh, hilarious! Yeah, I mean, there's no other way to do it, I guess. But um, and they also uh, they also tease Stephanie's announcement about the tag team titles at Survivor Series, which ends up being a three team elimination match, right? So it's going to be Los Guerreros, Edge and Rey Mysterio, and Kurt Angle, Chris Benoit there. And so yeah, so they have this triple threat match Super Tuesday. And uh, the ending comes when Eddie Guerrero rolls up Chris Benoit because uh, Kurt Angle uh, came down. He threw a ref back in as a ref bump. And uh, the, the ref being thrown back in broke up the uh, submission. Okay, the, like uh, Ed, Benoit was making Eddie tap out. And so the ref, like his body, essentially broke up the submission. And so Benoit was not pleased about that. But Eddie just gets uh, rolls him up and wins. So good for him. Uh, and then so after pumping up Mar- uh, Super Tuesday, we see Mark Lloyd in the interview area. Talking to Big Show, and he is framed. He looks 15 times bigger than Mark at this point. Oh, yeah. Amazing. And uh, Mark asks if uh, Eddie or Brock are going to win tonight. And Big Show simply says, I am. 
Okay. Mark's pretty <laughs> confused. I mean, it doesn't make sense, but it's fine. No. It's, it, but it's funny because, like, I think at this point it's pretty clear he's going to try and interfere. Yeah. Like, that would make sense to me. Uh, and then we see Eddie Chavo. They're getting hyped backstage. And then they run into Paul Heyman, who's in front of Brock Lesnar's locker room. And uh, Eddie says they have something in common. Uh, he says, Eddie doesn't think Brock could beat Big Show either. That's what he says to Paul Heyman. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, just, just stirring things up backstage here. <clears throat> and then Eddie adds, also adds that Brock can't beat him tonight either. And then suddenly Brock Lesnar pops out of his room to chase off Eddie and Chavo, scaring Paul Heyman half to death. That's right. Pushing Paul Heyman. You see that. Pushing Paul Heyman. Thank you. And so Brock, Paul Heyman yells, Brock, damn it, I'm sick of this bleep. What the hell is wrong with you? And he actually bleeps it. The S word. And Paul is really worked up. He says, Paul, he tells Brock all of his accomplishments up to this point, and the results of Paul's work. Paul's easy and he's worked up. He says, Brock can go face Eddie without Paul. He says, see if you like being the brain without the bronze or sorry, reverse that. See if you like being the brawn without the brains. <laughs> and uh, I don't remember their breakup being this telegraphed. Like, I mean, they're not going to stick it out beyond Survivor Series here, but it's so it feels like inevitable at this point. They're going to split up. Yeah. And, th- and this reaction of Paul Heyman seemed um, a bit unwarranted much. to me yeah. based on what we've been seeing earlier. Like, like this is coming from the guy who like held a belt around like Undertaker's neck through a cage at a Hell in a Cell match and like tried to like kill a man for Brock Lesnar. Right. And now he's saying like, "You threw a TV and pushed me into a wall. You're out of control, man." How dare you? <laughs> like it's like we almost murdered somebody a couple weeks ago. We tried. We tried. We went and found uh, his uh, old mistress, quote unquote. Yeah, yeah. So it, it just did. It didn't ring true to me. Right. But the promo itself was excellent. Right. It was so good. He does very good yelling. And, and he runs through the whole thing. He talks about, you know, we, I, I made you, I set you up against Hulkamania. I get you the match against uh, the rock. I got you this. I got you this. I did all these things for you. Uh, and you almost start believing him. Does Brock believe him? I don't know. Yes. So, so he made the, he made the point so well that I was like, okay. Good. Yeah. Um, so we take a break and there must've been a Scott Sunder promo video that we don't see because randomly. Yes. Taz just comes back and he just says, you know, Bruh, Scott Snyder, sign with SmackDown. So there must have been a, a pop up. Yeah. I was like, where is he? Where? Where? Why are you talking where? about it? I want to run away. All I know is Paul Heyman was just yelling at Brock Lesnar for a second there. So we go to Eddie Guerrero versus Brock Lesnar. This is a non-title match. And uh, Brock gets a pretty good pop without Paul Heyman. Right. It's not a SmackDown pop. It's a real thing. And maybe it makes sense. This is the time to turn him face because it's working. I mean, I like Brock at the time. Makes sense to me. People are excited about it. And like Brock's entrance also is cool too, where it's all black and there's just a spotlight on him. It's like, yeah, I love it. Um, and uh, this is yet another case where this is a pay-per-view title match many, many months before it would happen. Uh, because this is the this is the main event to No Way Out 2004. That's right. And we recently had a, a Brock John Cena match, which is the main event of uh, kind of a main event of Backlash and uh, main event of Extreme Rules 2012. So we keep running into these little main events, which is nice. I guess the um, you could also call the the Chris Benoit uh, Kurt Angle match from a little while ago. That's also main main events uh, Royal Rumble 2003. Not main events, but it's a title match. Right. These things happen. So Eddie and Chavo are waiting for Brock outside the ring, kind of on either side of him. And Brock fends off Chavo and then drives Eddie into the apron before the match even begins. And they roll in. They, they get going. And Eddie yeah, the sabotage gets, fails. Yeah, it does not work. And so Brock gets the shoulders in the corner to Eddie. And Eddie tries to get out of Brock's way uh, after another round of shoulders. And he gets thrown in the corner. And then uh, he's grabbed on the way of trying to evade Brock. And uh, he gets snake eyes, gets his face dropped first on the turnbuckle in the corner. And then Eddie takes a big back body drop 
Then he's there bear hugging. He's just getting ragdolled by uh, by Brock Lesnar. Just getting thrown around there. Uh, I should also mention that Eddie Guerrero has like a sort of ponytail in, by the way, which is funny to me. Like it's not something yeah. he would wear a lot, but he has like a ponytail on. Yeah, it looks really great. It's yeah, really it does. Great. It looks fantastic. I'm gonna. And Brock stop. Lesnar keeps on saying things like Hobbs and Essay. Like he, he does say that, isn't he? Because he has these little things under his breath where he's like he's teasing him about it. Yeah, and I'm like, this is great. Like, this is a Brock Lesnar that I like to see. He's just oh, yeah. like, because something about Brock Lesnar, I've mentioned it before. Yeah, is just his attention to detail is bar none. Oh yeah, um, there's a moment I'll he, mention. Even, even nowadays, pe- like people try and claim that he's phoned it in. He just does it for the money. But I say no, man. He is, no. he is so tuned into the business and so tuned into ring psychology, and he's showing it here too, where he's just like. Yeah, like, of course Brock Lesnar, the character, would be, you know, being a jerk to Eddie in this way by saying, like, where, where's your machismo now? Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, no, Brock, Brock is, like, gosh, yeah, well, it's, it's so easy to dump on Brock because he does think he's in a position people don't like where he just kind of comes in when Vince needs him and wins titles. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he's like, if you look at the Royal Rumble 2020, uh, started last year. Uh, you know, he was so he was loved. And it's like, yeah, just crazy. So um, Brock picks up Eddie uh, over his shoulders uh, and he almost this kind of gut wrench powerbomb. And he, and he holds Eddie there like it's a submission uh, before he flapjacks him down. And then Chavo tries to take a run at Brock from the apron, uh, but Brock knocks him down. And then Eddie hits a low blow while the ref is distracted um, and he gets a chance to stomp on Brock there. And then Eddie goes for the lasso from El Paso, um, which is crazy. Do, do I have you there, Daniel? You still good? Yeah, yeah. You got me. I still got you. Okay, great. Okay. I, cool. I just had to unplug my uh, earphones to put in my charger. charger. Just okay, running no battery. It's all good. Um, so Eddie goes for the lasso from El Paso, and he gets it, even though Brock is so big. Uh, but he only gets it for so long because Brock powers out with his legs and flips Eddie out of the ring. And so Chavo distracts Brock again, and Eddie kicks him in the knee, which gets two, which is kind of funny. Uh, and then Chavo chokes Brock, and I, I like this is a different match happening here because Heyman's not around. You know, he would usually probably prevent this from happening, but he's not there. That's right. Uh, so Eddie runs at Brock, and Brock tosses him in the air, uh, and then Eddie gets his high angle drop kick from Brock's throw, which is great. Uh, and then Brock gets ability to belly out of the corner, and and the, in the other corner, uh, Brock goes to run Eddie down, but Chavo pulls Eddie out of the way, so Eddie gets a chance at an armbar. So he's armbarring him there, and he's got he's doing it. And then during the armbar, Chavo starts to scale the top rope, and it's funny because you can see the referee start to like get lower and like not see Chavo. Like yes, to avoid him. yeah, yeah, yeah. They have to be strategic about this. Yeah, but then Brock essentially just takes Eddie, he throws him into the ropes, breaking the armbar, knocking Chavo down, and then he turns Eddie turns around and he gets F five and Brock wins. That's right, just like that. And uh, so I guess Big Show was wrong because Brock won easily and Big Show was not in the match. Like he said, who's going to win that match? It's like, well, Brock did. Handley, you didn't show up. Um, So Brock celebrates on the ramp, holding his belt in the air like an idiot, really, because as if Big Show did not telegraph that he's going to come up at some point. Right. And so right when Brock Lesnar has his belt, he's holding it in the air. He's right in front of it. Of course, Big Show runs out. I put runs in quotes. He's not running. He's ambling towards Brock. As though he has, like, I got a coupon for a, a submarine sandwich here. He runs towards him to ambush Brock. And just like with The Undertaker, Big Show, he beats up Brock and he tosses him off the stage. Right. It's good. But it's cool, Matt. Like, you, He's you got seem one to move. be downplaying Big Show here. It's cool. I'm downplaying the logic of, like, Brock should not be an idiot. Where, like, the whole show, he's mad about Big Show. And, uh, and then he just, like, walks into this, like, complete ambush. 
So, so this is one of the things I love about wrestling is this uh, attack from behind. Mm-hmm. All the wrestlers do it. It always works the same way. Someone's celebrating and then someone runs out from behind the screen and just a full forearm to the back. Yeah. And I just love it. I just love that it's there. And I love that Big Show does it here. And I love that Brock Lesnar was prone for it. I just. You what it. else are you going to do? Well, it's funny too. Like we see a replay, and Brock seems to land with like more of a thud. Like I feel like there's more padding there with the Undertaker. Like I don't know what the difference is in those two spots, but um, it's not like he like it's not like he breaks the table that's also there. It just like lands on there. It's not fun. And uh, Paul Heyman's out there. He's checking on Brock. And Michael Cole wonders if Paul Heyman's prophecy that Brock can't be the Big Show is true, and we'll see at Survivor Series. And with that, we go off the air. Now that said, there is another um, show next week before Survivor Series, but. That's it. That's, that's right, the show. That's right. So we'll we'll have we'll have more to question or maybe some answers. Right. If the prophecies seem even more fulfillable. So, Daniel, your final thoughts on the November seventh, two thousand two episode of SmackDown. What do you think? Hey, man, this was rock and roll. This was just a really good, mm-hmm. a solid episode. Lots of fun. Lots of fun. The the whole Al Wilson, Don Marie thing. Like it started off in my books as weird. And it started to pay off as just like a really enjoyable segment week to yeah. week. Like I just, I was kind of curious as to like how far they're going to take it, where they're going to take it, all this stuff, you know. Yeah. So really like that, and and I think like for me as I'm thinking about this era of wrestling, um, the the there's sort of three tiers, right? So there's your A tier wrestlers, your B tier wrestlers, your C tier, and everyone is worth watching as far as I'm concerned here. Right. Um, there's no one really that comes out that I'm like, uh, these guys, like everyone has a silver lining. So this particular episode though, that, that tag match is what elevates it. Yeah. I mean that, yeah, it's such a big deal. So are you, are you saying it's a, are you saying it's a, just bring it, just bring it, man. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I'm a little less excited about the show than you were. Um, Tag, the tag match is good, and they're doing the best they can to build their Survivor Series. I just don't love the Big Show and Brock stuff as much as, you know, I feel like they're trying to kind of overdo it a little bit. And So, yeah, I'll, I'll give it a just bring it because it is worth watching for sure. See, and I think, I'm, I think I'm marking out for the Big Show stuff because I really bought into the fact that, okay, this is a guy that in real life hasn't been on pay-per-views for months. Yes, but he deserves, he, hmm? he deserves to not be on pay-per-views. He deserves to not be there because he's not good. Well, <sighs> But I don't know. I don't know. He, <laughs> he's just big, Daniel. Yes. He he's more than just big. It's really it's really interesting. I, I talk about the Broken Skull sessions a lot on this podcast. Because yeah, those are good. They're good shows. There's some there's some really cool stuff there. The episode Big Show was really insightful in that he really didn't have confidence his whole career. Like, he never really hit his stride. He was really? always kind of listening to other people, trying to figure out, like, the trick of this wrestling wrestling business. He never really figured it out. So I'm kind of watching this through that lens and being like, Hey, he's doing pretty good for a guy who's like struggling to find his place here. And he's you're only, saying, yeah, he's only 30 yeah, here too, by the way. He's so he's like a young man's place. He sucks. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, yeah. His place is, I don't know. Not, not here. But I don't know. I, I, I like him in this spot. I, I like seeing him just kind of like rip a hole in everyone. You're just, you're letting your personal feelings uh, cloud your 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 compromise, Daniel. <laughs> Can you do this mission, <laughs> sir? Yes, sir. <laughs> no, you can't. You're, Come on, you're man. out of control. I can do it. I can do it. I'm not compromised. I don't know why. I'm thinking of the uh, that Al the, Wilson, a big show, are my heroes. 
I think of a Pacific Rim. It's like you don't have drift compatibility anymore. <laughs> Pacific Rim, what a deep cut. I love that movie. What a choice. Awesome. A, a movie I saw and did not like, so I don't know why I'm bringing it up now. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. I love that movie. Uh, I know. Of course you do. You love the big show. Uh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Boom! <laughs> that Daniel. Daniel, buddy. No chance, because that's what you said. <laughs> Thank you for joining me, man. I appreciate that. Oh, man. I love it. I love you. I'm, I'm glad you're here. And uh, so next week's show, we're going to cover the November 14th, 2002 episode of SmackDown. It is the go-home show for Survivor Series. We're going to clear some things up. We're going to get into it. We're gonna. It's going to be crazy. We're building up for the big show at Madison Square Garden. Uh, not at the end of the month, but kind of the middle of the month. So, yeah. Daniel, thanks for joining me. Look forward to having you again. Folks, thank you for listening to the podcast. I encourage you, if there's somebody in your life you think would love this podcast, send it out to them. Rate us on the Apple Podcast app. Tell us um, that you think we're great. You think we're great. Because we think you're great. And we'd love for you to keep listening to us here. Uh, and until next time, uh, we will uh, see you on your podcast app, Holmes. Holmes.